Incoming transmission. This week, a lot of comments um, for me to respond to over at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. I'm not going to respond to all of them, um, as I never do, uh, but... There were a a surprising amount more than usual that I was like, ooh, um, I want to share this on the show. Anyway, first off, a lot of you guys uh, just wished me a Merry Christmas after I posted that video that uh, had links in it to all of our past Christmas content worth checking out. A lot of you guys took the opportunity to reply in the comments and wish me a Merry Christmas, and thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, And for... Uh, for those of you that missed the opportunity and, you know, you, you're welcome to, you know, shoot me an email. I won't read it till after Christmas, but, uh, uh, but anyway, I, uh, I, I feel very loved by you guys. Um, so thank you very much. Um, all of you guys, um, under my video, Christian geeks are the little drummer boy. I just want to shout out, uh, give a shout out to the exchange between Kuba Booba and, uh, Peter Sherman. Um, just some good uh, interaction there uh, about uh, some stuff that Kuba Booba is kind of processing and thinking about in relationship to uh, to that video, and that uh, uh, that Peter um, shared some of his experience. Um, just just neat to see you guys kind of sharing with each other and uh, and trying to build each other up and encourage each other. So very cool to see that happening. And in YouTube of all places on the internet. <laughs> Uh, let's see, under my review of Tenet, the puppets of port of board gaming, uh, posted great in-depth review really helped me understand the film better. God bless. Uh, I thought, I thought for a second, I was like, is this person messing with me? (laughs) I just replied back and said, uh, well, good and surprising to hear, especially since I felt lost for big chunks of that movie. So <laughs> I'm glad that there was something in what I said that could, uh, I, I don't know how, but could in some way help you understand the film better. Um, thanks a lot, puppets of board gaming. And uh, Kububa, speaking of which, um, posted under my review of Tenet, I found the characters to be very shallow to the point they seemed like characters from video games. Right from the beginning, the protagonist is interrogated, takes a pill, and dies, quote-unquote, wakes up and is told that he's joining Tenet, and he's like, yep, no worries. Then he's shown inverse objects and catching bullets, and he's not dumbfounded by it. In comparison, this was really interesting. This is, this is Kuba Booba, what, what, what got this comment here at this point, is this comparison. In comparison, he says, Neo from the Matrix has a panic attack when he sees the real world. The protagonist, uh, which is the name of the main guy in uh, uh, Tenet, the protagonist just brushes it off his shoulder. He understands and accepts all these complex ideas like it's no big deal. Kuba, I am totally with you on this. I I care about character, and I just did not connect with the leads in this movie. And what a striking comparison, because Neo is far from the most charismatic and layered character, character in cinema. But in Tenet, I don't think we even got a, whoa, you know? So that is to make that comparison really just really just showcases they are not going for character uh, driven stuff in this in this movie. It's all about the concepts and the uh, really the visual gags, I think. Anyway, under my review of Cyberpunk 2077, if you can call it that my review, that is it is it is Cyberpunk 2077 um, Mastachina Akikta. Always always a party trying to read out loud usernames. Mastachina Akikta said, What do you think of Ghost in the Shell? This is nudity in ways. They are all androids, though you even see them being made. And the question of, what is the difference between an android and a human? 
So let me try to get at what I think you're getting at there, Masticina. Uh, I assume you mean the animated movie rather than the live-action movie. I do think animated or otherwise, artificial nude characters are different in that they do not objectify a specific real woman, such as an actress. But they are still most often designed to look appealing, regardless of context. I've noticed even when there's like just a dead body. Well, it just so happens that, you know, an anime or CG, you know, whatever the, th- whatever the thing is, like a video game or something like that. If it's a dead body, whether they're naked or not, it just happens to be this uh, beautifully sculpted female dead body or whatever, you know. Um, and I'm just like, why? Why, why? why does it need to be that body type right now? Um, so anyway, I find that still most often they're designed to look appealing, regardless of context, whether it's a sexual context or not, and feed appetites, whether intentionally or not, and appetites and expectations in us as viewers that contribute to a selfish and surface-level view of sexuality, where it's just about the body. It's just about what we are seeing visually. It's not about being interacting with a person, you know, um, rather, you know, so it's, it's this very, it just encourages whether it, it, I don't think it intends to, I don't think there's a malicious intent, like we're going to screw everybody up sexually that looks at this. It's not that they're not even aware of the damage that they're doing. You, you got to go to uh, a website like your brain on porn, um, which is either .com or .org. I can't remember, uh, to see the effects of sexualized nudity, uh, and the exposure to sexualized nudity uh, on um, on people who passively take that in, uh, and so I think that the the quote unquote perpetrators of this kind of thing, that are the perpetualizers, maybe I should say, you know, of this kind of content, they are themselves not doing it to screw with people. By far, they're not doing that. Um, they're just unwitting accomplices to uh, what. What Satan accomplishes, frankly, and uh, and and those that are in league with him uh, in the spirit world. Um, so, and then just you know, the the natural brokenness of humanity. It's all working together to screw things up and screw us all up. So, anyway, um, but great question. Uh, really appreciate you bringing that up and just giving me an excuse to talk about that for a minute. Uh, also, under my Cyberpunk 2077 video, in fact, a bunch of these here under that video, I'll let you know when we've moved on to a different video. Afflicted One says, Sorry to disappoint you, but there is no moral dilemma for them here. He's talking, I think, about CD Projekt Red, who made the game. You have, uh, you must have missed it, but they stated that the only reason they put the filter in for nudity and music is for people who stream the game. I'm still glad it's there, but make no mistake, the motivation did not come from attempt to be conservative um and for sure i i totally uh yeah that 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 i wasn't thinking that they were maybe like driven themselves to be conservative i i had real doubts as i said that it was in that it was their own values driving that um and i didn't catch that news item afflicted one so thanks for passing it along my thinking, you know, in reaction to that is first, I mean, I haven't confirmed it, guys. I'm just uh, taking Afflicted One, uh, his word for it, that, that, that that's accurate. That makes a ton of sense to me that they'd be motivated by, well, we want our game to be seen on streams. You know, it's just as simple as that, because uh, that's going to help raise awareness, sell more copies, all that kind of stuff. So um, it's not even uh, in that case, um, not even directly trying to cater to the consumers themselves. It's just trying to get the consumer to be aware of the product and buy it. <laughs> um, anyway, but even if it was driven by pure streaming service policies, I'm definitely still encouraged by this move, by the choice of CD Projekt Red to do this. Provided streaming platforms keep 
similar policies in place, this will likely motivate more games to have this feature that would otherwise have unchecked nudity in them, which I think is a big plus regardless of the motive. So anyway, thanks for that info, info afflicted one. Darth Liquid uh, said, honestly surprised there's a filter for this, meaning the nudity. Since becoming a Christian, it's definitely changed the way I play or what I play. Would appreciate violence, filters, language, slash nudity, and more video games. Uh, been enjoying Nintendo games more lately due to the lack of these things featured in the same way as other games. Yeah, I think that's um, a, a big, a significant part of Nintendo's appeal is that even if you are, you know, not a kid, and you could look at their games and say, oh, these are games for kids. I mean, they're not. They're not. The aesthetic is very kid-friendly in in uh, almost all of those first-party Nintendo games. And But the gameplay can still totally be appealing to adults. Even the aesthetics can... Like, you look at a game like Zelda Breath of the Wild, and it has a cartoony vibe to it, but still a lot of serious visual aesthetics. It's just a... It just is has this kind of cell-shaded almost, not cell-shaded, but kind of animated aesthetic going on, which means that the violence is going to be less realistic or potentially disturbing looking. And so they really, they know who their, who their target audience is. And I feel like they serve that target audience, at least in the content that they, the games that they make. Um, and you know what they, what the games are that makes them appealing. I think they serve that really well. They make a ton of other choices that I think are anti-consumer, but yeah, I think that they, uh, they're really good at what they do. Let me just put it that way. Uh, and it's definitely an interesting um, move to see this nudity filter. Uh, as I said, someone else here pointed out it was a decision made to better comply with streaming pa- platform policies. But regarding your thoughts, uh, Darth Liquid, on uh, you know wanting to see more filters for like language and nudity or, and language and violence as well, um, the, the, the route to seeing what you're hoping for there is going to be, I think, for streaming platforms to take greater interest in monetizing videos with less language slash, slash violence in their content. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll have to see, plat- streaming platforms will have to see a reduction in views on games that have violent content and language in them. I don't think that's going to happen. So I think that in a, in a funny way, it, it's, it's definitely you know, several steps removed from a company like CD Projekt Red, but in the policies for streaming uh, platforms themselves, I am seeing something encouraging that still, I, I think, uh, uh, in a modified way, makes what I said in my uh, thoughts on Cyberpunk 2077 still valid, that as long as these streaming platforms are saying, listen, it's against our policy for you to have nudity streaming on your channel then that says to me that at least the the policy creators on these platforms are seeing that audiences care about that that they'll they'll deal with violence and they'll deal with language but they don't want that and as long as in western culture that is still true um then we are better than there we're better off than we could be um, I think a cause for concern would be when when they they drop that policy because then that would say okay, then consumers by and large uh, no longer see any difference between taking in passively sexualized nudity and taking in um, uh, fictionalized violence and uh, and and uh, language and stuff. So anyway, that's yeah, just a really interesting facet of that whole that whole issue. So it'll be interesting to see something like that happen or just to kind of watch that in general, watch those streaming platforms and what their policies are going into the future. Um, so thanks for your thoughts there, Darth, Darth Liquid. Uh, Noah D'Amato 
says, great impressions video. I finished the game and enjoyed it. There was a portion of the game that brought up Christianity in a different way. That mission arc left me with mixed feelings, feeling they were mocking the beliefs of Christians, but also partially showing how Christ can change a person. Overall, interesting game. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thanks for that, Noah. And really interesting to hear a perspective from somebody uh, looking for those kinds of things and that's much further into into the game than I am. What you're describing there sounds like the kind of messy nuance that's really what I'm hoping to see uh, as I get further into the game. So thanks for that info and for watching and uh, and for your encouragement. Really appreciate that. The Reformed Gamers, uh, which is another uh, Christian podcast that you can uh, check out if you'd like, uh, wrote, The talk show debate between the preacher and engineer slash spokesperson was fascinating. While the preacher made some valid points, that uh, piece of tech preying off of misery and it not being a genuine soul on the chip... His caricature was not as overt as other representations. Pretty much agree with a lot of your impressions. Even as someone who plays for story, I found a lot of the information overwhelming and can't keep up with all the factions, LOL. So I thought that was worth mentioning that someone, you know, who does play games for story also found that overwhelming. Uh, it's the, the lore dump in the early hours. So hopefully that's useful for you guys to know. Uh, yeah, and I debated in creating that um, video and the content and the, the segment for the this episode of the podcast, letting that whole talk show thing play for you guys it would have taken a little bit of audio massaging to make it uh audible in a in a good way and i just didn't want to make time for that um but that's the kind of thing you know i mentioned that i could see myself if, if there's a demand for it or interest in it making a cyberpunk 2077 video once a month for months going forward i think it's just going to have that much in it worth talking about and that talk show segment is certainly one of them. There was like multiple points in there that I would want to like pause and say, okay, did you notice what he said there? Or did you notice his demeanor as he said this? Did you, did you notice what she said? You know, and just really lay all that stuff out on the table. I mean, I would, I would enjoy making that kind of content, but I'm not going to do it just because, uh, you know, just because I enjoy that kind of uh, dorky stuff. But, but if, you know, the game gets patched and we see a resurgence of interest in it, you know, in January, February, and people are like, okay, now we can all be excited about this game. Then maybe I'll make, you know, some content like that. And you can also spur that possibility along by letting me know that you would be interested in that. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Really interesting conversation in that, uh, that little clip there. Ravenous Spectre says, I'm waiting for a sale. Ubisoft has shown me the light with waiting on games now, especially from AAA devs. People want to be glorified beta testers now, nowadays, it seems, by trying to buy it day one, and it's already half broken. Uh, trying to get water cooler moments with the new hotness that comes out. Yeah, I hear you on that, Ravenous Spectre. I think I'd get tired of... <laughs> This game is broken, huh? Being the water cooler topic <laughs> so many times. And I think if you uh, keep buying games on day one, you are that's that's really the the water color, the water cooler uh, conversation you're paying for. <laughs> I think it's much better to wait, especially since sales kick in after a bit on games with rough launches and this one has had a rough launch. I'm wondering if we will see this one go on sale later this month. Uh, or while it's still unpatched and janky as all get out, or maybe in January, since... Oops. All right, I gotta stop and get some dinner stuff ready, but uh, let me just finish this comment. Um, but yeah, I, I uh, if, if, you're, if you're thinking about the game, waiting for a sale, maybe wait and see what happens around Christmas time. I know the PlayStation Store always does a big christmas sale I, they're doing one now that's called a year-end sale but i'm i'm betting they're gonna layer on top of that another one i think usually they do 
Um, so around Christmas or the day after Christmas or something, check the PlayStation Store. I'm sure Xbox similarly does that kind of stuff. There are probably other places doing similar kinds of things. So if you are interested in Cyberpunk and you're like, well, I, I'm almost ready, I'm, I'm almost willing to put up with the way state it's in now, but maybe not. And if, so if you're kind of still on the fence right now. Um, again, my recommendation is just wait as long as you want till this thing gets patched and you start hearing, yes, now it's polished, you know. Um, but if you're on the fence, at least see about consider waiting until uh, end of December, um, early January to see kind of what happens there with potential sales for that. I don't think they're going to drop the price of it, you know, the, the, the regular price of it. It's not gone. The launch hasn't been that bad, but I think it could uh, be part of a number of sales before too long. Uh, let's see here. And finally, kind of off topic, but still into that uh, cyberpunk video, Billy Thompson says, hey, I don't know if this is the right place for this, uh, but I need to talk about someone to talk to someone about being a better Christian because I get too mad and cuss a lot at people when I play. I really don't like being a hateful person. I pray about it every night. Um, and uh, I there was a couple of people that responded, um, so, I, so I won't read all their responses, but I'll just share mine uh, as I did there. I would love to talk to you, Billy. I will be going off grid for vacation after checking my emails. Um, well, tomorrow morning as I record this, but uh, this morning by the time it posts. But I'm going to be back after a couple weeks. You can reach me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And there are also some great people that I, I think would be happy to connect with you on our forums in the meantime at christiangeekcentral.com. Guys, um, please do me a favor if you are uh, one that frequents the forums. Um, maybe just, you know, you, you don't have to jump on there any more than you normally would. But if you if you see anyone going by the name Billy Thompson or who identifies himself as as the same user Billy Thompson from the YouTube channel, please give him a, a warm welcome and uh, and a listening ear with uh, whatever he's got in his mind that he would like to share. So uh, that's it, guys. Feedback, feedback. Give me your. Th- Wait a minute, no, no, I gotta go make dinner. Hang on, let me do the. Let me. I'll do that feedback thing in just a second. Okay, I'm just preheating the oven. I'm gonna have to leave in a second here to go get uh, Asher from school. Feedback, feedback. Give me your thoughts. Strike up some chat on our forums at christiangeekcentral.com. Leave a comment at youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral or patreon.com slash spiritbladeproductions. You type it, I read it, and might even share it on the show unless you tell me not to or want to be anonymous. That's fine, too. You can also email me, text, or audio message at PAE. T-E-R at spiritblade.com. Would love to hear from you guys anytime and most anyway. And as a reminder, if you would like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are good supplements, but by nature they can't speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. I mean, we'll do what we can to to connect with Billy. I will one-on-one if he gets in touch with me via email. I know that uh, some of you guys will uh, if he jumps onto the forums. But there's only so much that we can know and experience, and uh, and there's only so much walking alongside each other that we can do in uh, in online relationships. And on top of that, the context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we're serving and building these purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're maybe in a church that just seems to lack Bible-based intentionality, maybe they're just kind of stuck in tradition and uh, just stuck in kind of playing church and keeping up appearances, but they're not really in this life to be intentional and and biblically based. Uh, Or maybe you're not attending any church at all. If I can help you get connected to an authentic, compassionate, Bible-oriented church, I would love to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com, and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Uh, Let's see. Oh, yeah. And now for my Geek Week, what I've done, what I have planned. This would be a good time 
to stop the podcast if you want a little break. This is kind of like, this is going to be a long one, I'm pretty sure. I'm actually going to get interrupted in just a second here uh, to go and get Asher. But until the phone rings again, the, my little alarm goes off. Uh, this week, I got a PlayStation 5. And my life has not been transformed. <laughs> uh, it came in the mail, and yes, it was a cool, geeky moment. I'm not going to lie, and, you know, but I didn't shout it from the rooftops and stuff, you know. It, it, was, it was cool. It was cool to get it, no, no doubt there. But, you know, the moment kind of came and went. I have a PS5 now, and I'm playing games on it, and they load on significant average one in one third of the time that they like ps4 games that i'm playing through backwards compatibility even those that don't seem to have a boost mode or have been optimized in some special way for uh ps5 you know um they all almost all of them have are have one third of the load times but it's far from like the non-existent load times um it's far from like here we go just jump straight into the game it's not like that so clearly um, in addition to just running off an SSD, these games need to be optimized in some way uh, to take advantage of them uh, and to take advantage of an SSD. So I can report that although they are better, it is not going to mean vanishing of the load times for your PS4 games. Um, let's see. There's also... Uh, let me just actually pause now to go get Asher before this dumb alarm goes off. And, uh, and then I'll talk about uh, some other stuff with the PS5 when I get back. Okay, so HDR, right? That's what I was going to talk about next. Um, I have a TV that does have HDR, 4K, HDR. And I explored that a little bit because actually the the base PlayStation is HDR compatible. And so some games that have an HDR feature in them or a mode, you can see that. And so I actually tried Horizon Zero Dawn before getting the PS5. I, I tried Horizon Zero Dawn um with the right cables normally i don't have them hooked up because the capture card that i use to capture stuff for the youtube channel does not run hdr through it it does 1080 but it it doesn't do uh, it doesn't do hdr um and it won't go 4k either so uh, and and i just like to have it um hooked up just all the time i don't like to have to keep changing my hookups and stuff when i'm going back and forth between just playing for my own pleasure and playing for you know recording and capturing for content or streaming or whatever the heck so i i'm just always running my video game stuff through my capture card even though i'm not recording it's always kind of running through that box and uh and so i've I, i've not really messed around with hdr and when I really finally, even though I played around with it a little bit, as I said, with on PS4 with Horizon Zero Dawn, I ultimately was like, oh, I don't think I like this, or it's not worth it to me. I'm not noticing a big enough difference. And I really wanted to give it a good try when I got my PS5, and uh, and I just don't think it's going to be worth it for me. There's something about the, the high contrast mode that HDR has that is like i don't know it's it almost starts to give me a headache i'm like this is like these it's too bright it's too bright and when i try to dim the brightness down then it makes things too dark and stuff i tend to game in a room that uh is not able to be like i don't have blackout curtains and stuff and so there's just enough ambient light even with a a tv that kind of has anti-glare you know as, as i think all tvs do now um there's enough ambient light that I just see blurry reflections of things in the room when 
when the screen gets too dark. And so I really like my brightness to be uh, pretty boosted um, so that I can still see what's going on. You know, if, if it's too dark, then when my character walks into a cave, I'm like, oh, crap, it's too dark in here, you know. In fact, I even like it to be bright enough in most games so that if a game has, like, a torch or a light as a feature, I don't have to use that feature. It's just like, no, no, it's fine. I just adjusted my brightness. I don't need your dumb torch. I don't need your night vision, whatever your night vision solution is. I don't need it, you know. <laughs> so my deepest blacks, usually when it's at my level of preference, are like a really, really dark, dark gray, um, as opposed to truly being black. And that's that's just kind of how I prefer to play. And so as I explored HDR more, yes, for a few moments and in a few instances, I'm like, oh, that's cool contrast. But even even so, I can get some really nice colors and contrast when I'm not in HDR mode. And I find it easier to get my picture and the contrast level and the colors and stuff to be what I want them to be when I am not running it in HDR mode, which is really weird. And um, so... I ended up unplugging it and just running it through my uh, um, my capture card. And so that currently I'm not... I, I, let's see here. I think Spider-Man Miles Morales, which I did end up getting, um, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, does have... It does, you know, out, output to 4K. And so I've played some of that in 4K. I just... I still don't notice enough of a difference when you're talking about, you know, boosting the pixels... And and I'm even it's my TV and my that, that I play on is a 50 inch that I recently upgraded to and so in theory I should be able to notice a difference I suppose between uh, 1080 and 4K but I don't know keep in mind up until a few months ago I was playing on a eight maybe 15 to 18 inch I think I said 12 once in a stream or something or some content that I made but it's not that small it was it's uh, diagonally measured it's probably close to like an 18 inch um 15 to 18 inch screen um and so i definitely wasn't going to notice a difference even going much very a very big difference from 720 to 1080 but certainly i wouldn't notice 4k on there it won't, i mean it won't even do 4k it's a little 1080 tv but anyway so yeah the hdr just has not been worth it to me so i i think that it will be the exception to the rule that i use that feature anyway um 4k i'm not really noticing that but again um, I, uh, only have one game that would run, that would output to 4k and that's, uh, I think Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, I mean, I could double check some of my other ones. I, yeah, I don't, I don't think they do. I don't think they do. The, the, I think the thing that's been no, most noticeable to me is the improvement in frame rate in a number of my games, which would typically be at around 30 frames per second, and now they're bumped up to 60. And I do have a few games that on the PS4 would run in 60, like Wolfenstein. And first time I played Wolfenstein on the PS4, I was like, ooh, this, what is this? This feels weird. This Things are moving weird. What is this? What is this I'm noticing? What is different? And then I realized, oh, this is a game running at 60 frames per second. I had been so used to 30 frames per second or lower if it's not running well. Um, that to see a game run in 60 is like, oh, okay, all right. And uh, it's, um, I don't want to compare it to having, you know, the, the smooth motion or whatever, like uh, so you can get sometimes running DVDs through a Blu-ray player and you'll get that weird phenomenon where suddenly it looks like a soap opera because of the way that the 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 image moves. It, there's a weird smoothness to it or like it almost looks like it's moving too fast or something. There's just something weird about it. 
So it's not it's not comparable to that because that has that takes a lot more adjusting, and I in fact never adjusted to that. I, I usually like to add some kind of a uh, modifier so that it doesn't go into that full smoothness mode when I'm watching a movie like that. Um, but it, it is noticeable, and uh, and I and I think I like it. I, I do I do think I like it. I, I don't think it's something I hear a lot of people that are making content about games talk about like, oh man, it's gotta be 60. It's gotta be 60, you know? And there are some people who just seem to have eyes that are going to pick up on 60 frames versus 120 frames versus 30 frames and stuff. And I notice the difference when it's more than 30. I couldn't tell you if it's, it's definitely 60. Um, but I, I don't think that's as big a deal to me. So all that to say, um, yeah, I can tell it looks nicer and looks a little better, but it's, it's not changed what it feels like to play my games um, in any kind of uh, significant way. Once I get into them, um, you know, it's kind of like for me when I got my bigger TV a few months ago, it was really a big deal for, I don't know, three or four weeks. And then it just became normal. And then when I loaded up the PS4 on the other TV that I used to use, because I wanted to have that running at the same time for reasons I won't go into, I was just kind of doing some downloading some games on there and stuff. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, this is small. I was playing on this and I was totally content to be playing on this for years. And now it seems so small. And I, and I think I could totally go back and adjust to that. You know, if I brought that TV out to play, you know, in a different room of the house, or if my bigger TV broke and I had to go back to the other one, yeah, it'd be it'd be a significant bummer. But I was content on that, and I could be content again. And I feel the same way about 30 frames versus 60 frames. Really, I'm fine with 30. I'm fine with 30. Yeah, it's kind of neat to see it in 60. Oh, that's neat. And then you get used to it, at least I do, and then, you know, there you go. Um, so, but as far as, like, backwards compatibility of tested... Almost all of my games, certainly all the games that I think I'll have a chance of going back to at some point, and they all work fine. No problems that I could tell. Uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint was the one that I noticed most, uh, uh, having the different mode options available, which I should point out, I'm going from a base PS4 to a PS5. Some of these options to mess with frame rate versus picture quality and stuff are available in the PS4 uh, settings for a game. So if you have a PS4 Pro, then you're already experiencing a number of the things that I'm experiencing for the first time on the PS5. So it'll be an even smaller incremental upgrade at this point for you if you go from a Pro to a PS5, I think. Um, but uh, but even jumping from a base PS4 and suddenly making the quote-unquote leap forward to a PS5 uh, has not been all that dramatic for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, d- I definitely like playing Ghost Recon Breakpoint with the you know in 60 frames, and it's been neat. I think in particular to see some of these bigger games that usually they're just not going to run if they're o- big open world games. They're not going to run at 60. It's been a little bit of a novelty to see some of these big open world games running at 60 frames per second and just the smoothness that comes with that. But you know, it's not been mind blowing or really changed how I play the games. Um, so Ghost Recon Breakpoint, I played around with that and just noticed the smoothness there, and that was neat. Monster Hunter World, I tried multiple settings, and I I still struggle to see any difference between them. I mean, some of them are like, okay, this one will add in some shadows here. Okay, well, I already had a bunch of shadows in a bunch of different places. You're just adding some more? Okay, well, it just seems like the sun maybe changed positions at, at most. It, 
So Monster Hunter World, I've been really underwhelmed by the uh, the improvements. Uh, the the frame rate has been increased, and and I haven't, I should say, been on a proper monster hunt in Monster Hunter World since getting the upgrade. I think there are definitely some times where I will appreciate um, having a smoother camera movement and no dropped frames and stuff below 30 anyway when I'm in the thick of a big monster fight. Because that will sometimes happen in a big monster fight. You know, there'll be uh, some dropped frames and and you just in those split second moments can't quite track with what's happening as easily um, when some frames get dropped. So uh, I think that will be something that I'll, that I'll look forward to exploring a bit more. Um, and both of those games significantly improved loading times. As I said, I think a third of the time that took to load uh, previously. However, one game that I don't think I saw any, at least not any noticeable improvement in the load times is Pathfinder Kingmaker, which is really disappointing. Um, I, I, I didn't think that the load times were atrocious before, but then again, as I've looked at games like that, Pillars of Eternity and Pillars of Eternity 2, I'm like, these games are far from the most visually taxing games. They are double A games, and a lot, especially in like Pillars of Eternity... A lot of the backgrounds are fixed, you know, so you're not even animating a, a whole 3D world. Why the crap are these load times the way they are? They should have, in my mind, on the PS4, been extremely short, but they weren't. Um, and so I was hoping, really hoping, to see improvement there um, in Pathfinder Kingmaker. And there may be... I, I didn't actually do a test and count the seconds on that one from one platform to the other. I only did that on on a couple of games. Um, and well, and the only way I was able to do that actually was to go back and look at my reviews in which I happened to mention and count and give, give a second count for average length of load times and compare that. I didn't actually, you know, load up two versions of the game, one on my PS4 and one on my PS5. So, um, so anyway, Pathfinder Kingmaker, disappointing to not see that one, um, uh, loading faster it does the, the menus you fly through the menus that's been nice sometimes the menus will be just a little bit i don't know kind of sticky it feels like it's like they don't quite it's when i hit that right trigger they don't quite snap to the next menu a page as fast as i'd like but man they are snapping all over the place it's great love it so that aspect i've really appreciated seeing improvement there and then also i've noticed that 60 frames per second smoothness when i'm walking around and in combat and stuff and so that is appreciated as well so uh i had been putting off pathfinder kingmaker for a little while in part because i think i was actually getting tired of the real time with pause combat i talked about that um a week or so ago on the podcast but also in part because i was like let's just wait and see if this experience will be improved and just the the sense of uh, momentum that you have playing this game will be disrupted less if the load times are significantly reduced. And so I'm sad to report that, no, that, that I didn't get to experience that in the load times. But um, it is a game that I still plan on going back to. I still really uh, enjoyed what I played of it. I just kind of like started, I started losing its sheen in my mind a little bit. I think that the novelty of the gameplay, not the game itself, but the, but the type of gameplay is like, I, I was l- losing a desire to have that itch scratched, I guess is what I would say. Um, but on a similar note, I want to mention sword coast legends. Now this game is not available to purchase 
actually anywhere that I'm aware of right now, but it is another one of these real-time with pause D&D-based games, D&D-inspired games in the case of Pathfinder Kingmaker. But this one, Sword Coast Legends, is actually using the uh, 4th edition, I believe, D&D rules, maybe 5th edition, I can't remember now. Um, and it's real-time with pause, and it's uh, it's in kind of like licensing limbo right now. And so it's not available to purchase anymore on uh, the PlayStation Store for sure. And I don't think elsewhere. I could be wrong. But it might be on GOG. You can check GOG.com. But I think you're going to get a better... Uh you're going to get a better product if you are okay with playing with mouse and keyboard, which I really prefer, really strongly prefer not to. But if you are totally fine with mouse and keyboard, that's where you should get this game anyway, because that's where you can get mods and that's where you can create and play other people's modules and stuff. I still may someday, if it becomes available on PC, if it is, and I am struck by the notion, uh, I may buy it that way, uh, depending on what the user content looks like out there. But um, anyway, uh, I bring this up um, not to, uh, you know, which I bring this up. Why do I bring this up? Cause you can't buy this game. I bring it up to give an example of a game that I would think would not benefit at all from playing on a PS five because it's dead on the PlayStation store. You can still, if you own it, if you bought it on the PlayStation store, you can redownload it. Uh, but you just can't buy it anymore on the PlayStation store. Um, but you would think this game, it's got no support. It hasn't been untouched, untouched. Uh, but yet playing it on PlayStation five, uh, the load times, um, I believe are improved. Uh, if I remember correctly, they were definitely improved and the menus, which was one of the main things that was, uh, making it a sluggish experience that I couldn't stick with. They were super sluggish to a much greater degree than the than Pathfinder Kingmaker, and that's gone now. The menus are snappy, and are I still my I still have the issue of them not being as intuitive as I would like. I've seen other menu designs and menu navigation in a game of this type that works way better for me than Sword Coast Legends, but uh, but the the snappiness of those menus now, I'm like, oh my gosh, this game now, I'm going to take it off of my never coming back to list. This is a game that like, I'm coming back to at some point, assuming that I don't continue uh, to increasingly lose interest in the real time with pause uh, RPG genre. Um, which I, I don't think I will. I, th- I think that I'm just kind of like in a place where I'm going to take a break from it for a while. But uh, yeah, but this so really, really cool. Really cool to see that improvement there. So um, Kingdoms of Amalur Re-Reckoning was another one that uh, I really wanted to... I was just really disappointed in the load times for that on PS4, given it's uh, being just a remake, a, a remaster of a, of a 360 game. Um, but, uh, the, the load times are significantly improved again, about a third of what they were before and, uh, very happy to see that change. I think it makes it much more likely that I will, uh, get back to that game and stick with it for a longer term. I mean, also helping that is the fact that an expansion is still supposed to be coming out in the early part or the first half of 2021. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, so, but this will make it, uh, easier for me to kind of finish the main campaign, which I do want to do before the new expansion comes out. Can't remember the name. Can't remember when exactly. I want to say it could be as early as like February. I don't think it's as early as January, but I think coming up fairly soon here. So, um, my gosh, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but there's just too many games, too many games in my library, too many games I'm potentially interested in. 
Um, I mean, I guess I'm talking about a lot more than I'm actually going to be driven to play. I'm not going to be playing Pathfinder or Sword Coast Legends anytime soon. Um, so Skyrim, I uh, got back into that in order to um, uh, play and record for the Skyrim, the rise of Eldorast. And so one thing I need to test in my troubleshooting, um, when I get back from vacation is to see if that could possibly have been a bug that, uh, was unique to the PlayStation five, you know? So I, I could go back and basically replay that hour on the PS4 that I played on the PS5 and see if I ran into the same bug, see if that maybe has something to do with the PS5. I doubt it. I had, I think it has probably has something to do with the mods that I have on there. I, I don't know. I don't know. So, um, but I did notice that the load times were improved. Now the load times were already improved going from 360 to the special Majigger edition, whatever it is on the PlayStation five, they were already very significantly improved, but either I've gotten deep into the game, uh, that the load times are increasing because they do tend to, uh, to do that, especially the, uh, it was fixed with an update on the PS3, but the the big bug in the PS3 version of Skyrim was that the longer you played the game, the longer the load times got. And I think that was true with the 360 version as well, but like they got absurdly long because the game was remembering things it didn't need to remember that you had done. Um, anyway, uh, so the, the, they're still improved. They're not eliminated. I'm like, dang it. I wanted them to be eliminated. I really did want a lot of these load times to just be eliminated. Uh, but they, as I said earlier, I think they have to be optimized in some way for that SSD in order to truly take advantage of that. So, um, let's see, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Uh, I bought this one. Now I'm going to have to talk a little bit more softly, but my leveling software should uh, mean that that's not a problem for you guys. Um, I am the, the Operation Game Loft for my boys to hand down my PS4 to them is still very much in effect and I'm very very excited about that that's actually the most exciting part of getting the PS5 was realizing okay all systems are go and so I that's why I fired up my PS4 as I mentioned earlier to start downloading games onto it and start figuring out okay what games in my library are they going to really enjoy playing that are age appropriate that I know are great um, and, uh, and so I was just very excited about that. And, and so I bought, um, I got this $30, well, what I thought was 30, what I was told was $30. It actually only ended up being $25. Um, but it was a $25 gift card for GameStop that I got for raising a certain amount of money through Extra Life. That was just something that the, my local children's hospital was doing this year that, that they, to my knowledge, had not done before. And once you reach a certain, you know, fundraising thing, then you get a, Give GameStop gift card. So I've had this thing, and I've said to myself, "Well, I'm going to wait, and, and I'll, I'll use it on a game that I decide to buy, maybe for the PS5." And so, um, so I was either either going to be spending it on that, or if I enjoyed the game enough, which I, I ended up enjoying enough, uh, on uh, Cyberpunk 2077. But you know, as I mentioned in my review of Miles Morales, it's set during Christmas, and I'm like, "Oh crap, I, man, I, I'm really enjoying this game, and like now's the time to play this game more so than Cyberpunk, especially since Cyberpunk's kind of buggy, and hopefully we'll get uh, fixed." So, um, so I wanted to get this now, and but here's the thing. Uh, I I had this GameStop gift card, so I was like, well, I'm going to get the physical edition of the Ultimate Launch Edition, because that also comes with the PS5 remaster. It's the only way you can get, actually, the PS5 remaster of Spider-Man for PS4. And your save files do transfer over now. That was an update that they added. And so there's still, like, some open-world stuff and some DLC story missions that I haven't finished in that game. So I was like, yeah, why not finish that out on the PS5, you know, with the bells and whistles and stuff? 
Um, and uh, but here's the thing: if, if there's a difference in what you get in the content between the Ultimate Launch Edition of Spider-Man Miles Morales in in physical format and in digital format, in the physical format. You do get some DLC stuff, which I actually think I might have redeemed the wrong way. I think I redeemed it on my PS4, and I should have redeemed it on my PS5, because I think that by doing that, I got the extra little things, I don't know, like skill points and two extra suits or something for Miles Morales. I think that's only going to be good for a potential PS4 version of the game, which I thought I was also going to be getting, because the digital version does give you that. If you buy the digital version of Spider-Man Miles Morales Ultimate Launch Edition, whether you buy it for the PS4 or PS5, it comes with both versions, as well as the the remaster of Spider-Man, if you go all digital. If you get the physical version, then, uh, well, in the digital version, I'm not sure if you get those extra suits or not. I think you do. Anyway, in the physical version, you uh, get the PS5 disc for Spider-Man Miles Morales. You get a download code for the little DLC things. You get a download code for um, the uh, remastered PS4 Spider-Man for PS5. You do not get a download code for Miles Morales on PS4. Which is a bummer to me because... um, I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but I I was bummed. You know, and... Ultimately, I, if I could go back in time, I would still make the same choice because I had the GameStop gift card for, you know, that that's that's where I was going to get it. Uh, I wanted to get it before Cyberpunk so I could play it before Christmas, you know. Um, and by the time... My, my boys will have Spider-Man PS4 that they can play on the PS4. And I really like the idea of, hey, as long as I'm getting this cool thing for myself, I'll have a PS4 copy of Spider-Man Miles Morales, which my boys have heard of. They've both heard of. I think it's because Dan TDM has played it or something. Um, and that's, that's kind of been an unusual thing for my boys to, and me to both know of a new game that's coming out and all three of us be kind of interested in that game. Um, and so I really liked, I loved the idea of among the other things that I was going to hand me down to them with the PS4, I'd be able to say, Hey, and not only do you have Spider-Man, you have Spider-Man Miles Morales on PS4, you know? Um, and, uh, that's just not going to happen, but, uh, but all that said, they still really, I think, should play Spider-Man PS4 before they play Miles Morales. I think that's true for anybody. Um, and it's going to be cheaper, and you can figure out if you're going to enjoy the game. Um, if you if you don't enjoy the PS4 Spider-Man, you're not going to enjoy, enjoy Miles Morales, I don't think. Anyway, and by the, by the time they get all the way through that game... Um, even if they use, which I'm excited to offer to them, the new game plus option. If they, I'll let them play on my account. If they, if they want to just like start with awesome stats and stuff and just blow their way through that game, you know, uh, then then they'll be able to do that using my new game, uh, new game plus um, with my save. Anyway, uh, even if they did that, it's still going to take them plenty of time, you know, to play through that game. And by the time they do. Just buying Miles Morales by itself on PS4, you know, it wouldn't. I'll bet we'll be able to catch a sale or a physical copy that we could get for twenty bucks, you know, in the next six months. I would guess that that would be a thing that could happen. So, um, but it was just a little bit of a bummer, and I wanted to pass on that information to you if you are considering getting Spider-Man Miles Morales. Um, so let's see here, what is coming up? Oh yeah, well I, I should mention that I, I haven't mentioned this before. After I did all my backwards compatibility testing and stuff, which is what I did for about I don't know two or three days straight. I wasn't really playing any games. Um, then I just like yesterday I got into Spider-Man Miles Morales. I was bummed because I was. You can transfer saves 
from the PS4 version to the PS5 version, but you have to do it. You have to upload your save from within the game. You can't just transfer the saves from from the console, from your PS4 to your PS5, and then just load it right up. There's some kind of mechanism that the game has to employ in order to change it into a PS5 file or something. So since I was only renting Miles Morales on PS4, I don't have that game. I have saves for it, but I can't load it up on the PS4 to properly export those files in a way that the PS5 version can receive them. And so I have had to start over uh, on the PS5 playing Miles Morales. And it's going to go faster this time because I just know things and, and, uh, and I'll be able to beeline it more through the story Um, but, uh, I'm a little bummed that I had to start over. Even so, as I said in my review, the first hour, hour and a half is where, um, the, in my five hours that I've played so far was the greatest concentration of Christmassy type stuff. So I got this game in part with the, you know, now instead of later, because I wanted to play it during the Christmas season, uh, in particular next week when I have some time off before, uh, before Christmas comes. Um, and so do I mind playing that content again? Not really. It's, uh, it's going to give me a second chance to scratch that Christmassy itch, which I'll especially appreciate if I play through the whole game and find that, you know, as the game went on, it just becomes less, there's just fewer and fewer references to, to the Christmas season. So, uh, anyway, yeah, that was, um, that was uh, th- that was fine for me to go back to that. Okay, so what's coming up for me this week and maybe the next two weeks since I've already pre-recorded uh, the podcast for a week from now? Well, uh, I've got my bake-a-thon that I do every year to uh, bake for my for the caroling ministry that I lead every year. Actually, won't have to bake uh, anything for that because the donations we got from people in the church to fill those bags up is just like awesome. So. I'll just be baking, but still a ton for me, my family, my extended family, uh, our neighbors and stuff, making my peanut clusters. And and so it'll still be a big day of baking. And for that, I like to put on Christmas geek movies or geek Christmas movies, I should say, which this year is going to include um, Batman Returns, almost certainly, because it was over at spring break, actually, that I watched the original Michael Keaton Batman movie with Asher, my oldest, who is now 13. Um, and he really had expressed an interest at that time in going through and, and uh, watching the uh, the Batman movies. Um, and I think he was saying that he only wanted to watch them like with me. He wanted, which is really cool, you know. But I just haven't quite had it in me to watch Batman Returns to sit down and watch that with him because I watch it every Christmas, and so every time he's like. Wait, do you want to watch it, you know, this weekend, or do you want to watch it today, or whatever? I'm like, mm, you know. So this is going to be the perfect opportunity to to put that on. I'll be there. He can watch it and enjoy it, and then we can get on with watching, making our way through the rest of the Batman franchise, which I real I will really enjoy. I will even enjoy going back and watching Batman Forever again, just because I know it's not a horrific movie. It's it's not a movie I'm going to enjoy because it won't be my to my tastes, but I think I'll be able to revisit that and it'll be a novelty. Um, I think though he does want to watch Batman and Robin. And I told him, Asher, you're going to have to watch that one without me. I I don't think I can sit down and watch that. I really hate that movie, (laughs) but you freaking let me know the moment you are ready for Batman begins. And so, um, this Christmas break might end up, we'll see. I imagine we'll at least watch Batman Returns, but this Christmas break might end up being the break of Batman, where Asher and I uh, watch 
um, our way through the, uh, the, Chris, the Christopher Nolan trilogy, um, which I would not mind at all watching those with him. Those are among the movies that I've wanted to rewatch since we got a, a newer TV in our, in our family room. And so really look forward to that. Uh, I also, I never got around to it last Christmas, but I had intended last Christmas to watch V for Vendetta, thinking that it might have a Christmas scene. There's a clip that you can find online where V, the character V, menacingly says to a character that he's the ghost of Christmas past. And the way, I don't remember if that takes place during the Christmas season. It might. I'm thinking that movie might take place over the course of a year. It just starts and ends in November. Um, I could be wrong about that. But uh, anyway... I can't remember if the graphic novel, which I have, or the movie, which I've seen a number of times, actually has a a part of it take place in the Christmas season. But maybe I'll figure that out once and for all. I will have to wait until the boys are in bed. Um, Although I could check the content warnings and see the blow-by-blow on IMDb. That might be one that Asher could watch with me. Um, Well, gosh, no, there might be some... I can't remember if Natalie Portman... Um, gets naked in that one. I don't think she does. Usually, that's a striking thing when I run into nudity in a movie, and I don't think that she gets nude in that movie. But uh, anyway, I'll I'll double-check that. Anyway, so it's not a sure thing, because I may, at the end of the day, be tired and not feel like watching it, but uh, we shall see. Um, Shazam, there's a good chance that uh, that would be included in my Christmas movies this year. I think I've watched that as a Christmas movie uh, last year, because it uh, does take place a significant part of it, maybe most of it, I think. Yeah, most of it during the Christmas season. There's all kinds of Christmassy stuff now that I think about it. Suicide Squad also has a scene that's uh, Christmassy. Um, it's a flashback scene, but it still takes place during Christmas, uh, very clearly takes place during Christmas. Hellboy 2 has an opening sequence that takes place during Christmas. And um, I think that Hellboy 2 might be of interest to Titus, my younger son. He's 10 now. And although he is not ready for some of the, the the content that I think Asher would be ready for, there are some rated R movies that that I am content to take Asher through. Although he's been resistant, so I'm just I'm not going to push him with that. You know, I've talked about that before on the podcast. But uh, but Titus definitely likes he's 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 been telling me lately that he likes horror as a genre, and I'm like that doesn't make any sense to me because. The horror movies are almost exclusively rated R. How has he even developed a taste for horror? And I think it's because of some of the books he's been reading, like that that are that like Goosebumps type stuff. He hasn't been reading Goosebumps, but like um, Benicula, he's been reading. If you remember that one when you were a kid, and so and I think he likes monsters. I think maybe he likes seeing monsters now and then, watching over my shoulder in some of the video games that I play. So I think he likes the idea of some of those monstery type things. Um, and, uh, but, but I've been thinking to myself, how can I help him explore that more? What, what in the world, what movies do I have? Well, I realized not too long ago, Hellboy, uh, Hellboy, these are PG-13 movies, which before I showed them to him, I would need to look through and just see what are the wardrobes for the female characters looking like. There's not going to be any nudity, but you know, I'm not even sure before, before I had Asher watch any PG-13 movies, um, I had several talks with him about how to navigate that kind of content when there's a, a woman on screen that is wearing clothing that's very tight or that is re- very revealing and shows parts of her body that she really needs privacy for. And so we talked about how even though the actress might not realize she needs privacy, we need to respect the fact that she needs privacy. I actually picked up this concept from somebody else online 
Um, I can't remember, but just the idea of giving someone privacy. I picked that up from somebody, I think, in the Christian Geek Central community that was talking about that. And I thought, man, that's great. That's just a great way to honor honor women. Um, even if they don't want, they don't recognize the dignity and the purpose of their bodies, we want to give them privacy and dignity by averting our, our eyes. And so anyway, I'd want to look and see, uh, remind myself of the blow-by-blow content in those movies. But if there's no concerns on that front, um, I would otherwise be okay with him kind of testing his limits, see if it gets too creepy, see if, you know, and we can abort any time. But I think that could be just a great introduction to some horror monster type stuff. Um, and, uh, and Asher has not been down to watch that movie. I've told him multiple times, like, this is a, this is a cool movie, Hellboy, you know, it's, and it's the Guillermo del Toro movies. Um, so, but I think Titus would totally be down for that. And I would totally be down for watching those with him. So maybe that will happen. We'll have to watch the first one first, though. If we're going to try and get Hellboy 2 in as a Christmas movie, I might have to, uh, I don't know. It probably won't happen during my bake-a-thon. It'll probably happen sometime during the, later during the break, if at all. Also scheduled during the break, and I haven't mentioned this to the boys yet. It's one of our, going to be one of our advent calendar activities. We, try to spice up the calendar and, you know, make, do a few fun, interesting things. Well, um, I started, uh, Holly and I've been talking about this for a while, but we wanted to start what I proposed as a reading slash tabletop day, which is basically a positive spin on having no screens. You can't use screens. <laughs> you can read and we'll buy special snacks for everybody to enjoy their favorites. You know, they can pick out their, a couple of their favorites from the grocery store and we just, you know, have a, you can build a little cozy fort for yourself if you want, but it's just a, like a day to read or to play tabletop games, either by yourself or together, or whatever. And uh, that was a big hit um, for the boys back in October. And so the next one, we're going to try and do it every other, every other month. And when December was coming, I just uh, looked at the calendar. I was like, oh, Holly, I think I'm just going to bump this to January and kind of get us off schedule a bit. But I think it'll be better than trying to cram it into December. But then, like, the uh, Titus brought up, oh, I want another reading and tabletop today. When can we do that? When can we do that? You know, and he actually, when we asked them for suggestions of things that we could do that wouldn't be hard to plan as part of our Advent calendar events, um, he brought that up. And I was like, you know, actually, once I'm off work and they're out of school, you know, uh, on a day that Holly's working anyway, then the three of us could have a reading tabletop day. And, you know, it could just be for us. Holly can do, you know, I'm not going to ask her to <laughs> not use screens. When she's done with her work day, I want her to just relax however she wants to relax. But that's something that we could totally do. And so that is something planned for before Christmas, because I knew once Christmas hit, they're going to have all this cool stuff with screen related stuff. It's going to be like pulling teeth to, you know, have a tabletop day at that point. Um, so I think middle of, uh, next week, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday, I think is, is when that's going to be. So, uh, looking forward to that. I'm looking for, man, when I was reading my book last night, I was reading, um, my Terry Brooks book. It's Jarka Roos, uh, which is part of the, what is that thing called? Ugh. The High Druid of Shannara is the name of the trilogy. And I think I mistakenly talked about it once before and referred to it as Straken and even put that in the, the, the notes for the episode. And it's not. Straken's the third book in that trilogy, but it's the High Druid of Shannara. Jarkarus is the first book in the trilogy. And, um, and as I got back into that a little bit, cooling down, getting ready to go to sleep in my bed last night, um, I was just like, this is really nice. This is really nice. I think I'll look forward to reading this 
for a long stretch during my reading and tabletop day. And it just confirmed to me that the, the folks over at Speculative Faith who wrote the article that I shared recently about reading fantasy at Christmas time, they are really on to something. <laughs> I think in particular, just kind of having that time off to read and be and reading is such a quiet activity. You know, it's there's it's a low stimulus activity. And if you've really been working hard and been really, really busy up to that point where you can finally take off from work, then the 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 polar opposite of that is curling up with a book in a quiet environment, maybe with a nice hot drink. Um that sounds really, really nice. And so I'm looking forward to doing that as part of our reading and tabletop day. And uh, I've got the third book in that trilogy on my Christmas list. It should be a pretty cheap thing for uh, to throw in my stocking, I'm guessing, to just buy a used copy of it. I've read the trilogy, but I just never, I never, um, I, I bought the first two in paperback, and then I bought the third one in hardcover so I could read it sooner rather than later. And this was years ago. This was early in uh, my mar- early in our marriage. And uh, and I think I just got rid of the hardcover as soon as I could because I knew I could get a quick, decent buck off of it by selling it while it was still new on the market. And I was like, oh, I'll just get the the paperback eventually. And I never did. Um, but now that I've been coming back to it, I was like, oh, I need that now. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm planning on during Christmas break to at least finish the first book, Jarkaroos, and, uh, and maybe get uh, further into the second one and uh, start moving toward that third one, which will hopefully end up in my stocking. We'll see. Um Let's see, where am I in my notes here? Uh, Oh yeah, we will probably also on that reading and tabletop day, in addition to other days during the week, I really want to try and do this before Christmas. And that's play Hero Quest with Titus. Because again, once Christmas arrives, uh, they're going to be really interested in screens (laughs) after that. And so, and I don't want to just do it on the, the reading tabletop day. There's this thing that happens to me when I before before I take a a break, um, especially I think, <coughs> excuse me, I think especially Christmas vacations where when we're here at home in Arizona, I start thinking of all these things I'm going to spend time doing, and one of those things that I often think of is I'm going to do more of such and such with one or both of my boys, um, and I just discovered that those fantasies don't become reality unless I really am intentional about them, and so. Uh, and I've gotten a little bit better at that with the last break, that long break that we took. I think we got in some decent uh, hero quest, but I think over Thanksgiving it wasn't as good. Um, and so this break, I really want to get in some good hero quest, especially since we have now finished Return of the Witch Lord. We are done with quest packs that I have played or run in my life, and we're moving on to the European ones that never released in the U.S. that I've downloaded. Um, Legally, they were made available by the by the by uh, Milton Bradley or something, um, and uh, and now he's going to run me through them, and I really have no idea what I'm in for. So I'm really uh, really looking forward to that. Um, let's see, Pathfinder the Adventure card game, The Mummy's Mask. I have had a game of that sitting out on my table in my office for months now, but I have not been playing it regularly uh, at all. And I am that reading and tabletop day, maybe no other day during the break, but during that reading and tabletop day, I'm like, I've got my eye on that game. I'm going to, I want to spend at least an hour with that, maybe two, uh, and really just get back into that. Uh, I think, I think my interest in board games kind of goes through a seasonal rhythm. I do think that it's about this time of year, Christmas time, maybe because I start thinking about, you know, I have to come up with a list for my uh, wife to figure out what she wants to get me. And, and board games, I find, 
often come with a hefty, the kind I like, often come with a hefty price tag that I, at any other time of year, I'm not just on a whim going to drop. But I know that we've set aside, we set aside more money to, to spend during Christmas, and I'm like, this would be the time to get my hands on it, and it wouldn't be a blow to my fun money budget. And so I think I start putting those things on my list, they start getting on my radar more during the winter, and then I either acquire them or I've just developed a taste for them at some point um, over Christmas. And then into the spring is when I start being more interested in board games again. And that, and that usually keeps going for probably until E3 starts approaching every year. <laughs> but I think, yeah, winter through late spring is, is my board game season. And so maybe spending some time with uh, the Pathfinder adventure card game, The Mummy's Mask, will... Uh, um, oops see here uh will uh, will get me back into that and i do really enjoy that i i still will say that that is my dungeon crawler of choice just the way those rules are made and how easy it is relatively speaking to set up to tear down and uh the, the way it incorporates theme into the mechanics um really really enjoy the pathfinder um and and once i ditched once i chose to ditch some of the rules like the trigger rules that that removes all incentive from exploring decks, you know, using powers that'll let you peek into the deck ahead of you to see what's coming up. They got this trigger mechanic that now in the in the the mummy's mask, you can potentially get you can trigger a trap or trigger a monster attack or something by doing that. I'm like that's lame, that's no fun. Um so I got rid of that. <laughs> Which does give me a bit of an advantage um in the game, but I'm just playing by myself, and that's okay. And I think also I get a disadvantage because I remove some cards from the game that play that are that are that leverage those mechanics in an advantageous way. And I just remove basically all cards not not all cards that have triggers on them, but that really lean on that mechanic of the game. I just take I've just taken them out of the game and put in some other cards from previous sets. That's a really cool thing I have to mention about Pathfinder the Adventure Card Game is these these sets are all compatible with each other. And so if you are playing a, a set and you don't like all the spells that are available for your mage and you have another set that you like the spells in that, you can just swap some out and put the ones in that you like. I mean, it's, yeah, what a great game. What a great game. Great, great system and, yeah, good stuff. Let's see here. What else? What else? Oh, yeah, okay. Let me just take a brief breather before I get into this uh, this next topic. Okay, so now we're getting into the topic of games that my boys are going to get with the hand-me-downs they i made a whole trailer like i do a christmas quest every year for um my wife holly and the boys have really wanted to get in on it in recent years and so i've added them to it sometimes given them their own quest but gets to be excuse me gets to be too much and so the quests basically involve like riddles clues that they have to follow around the house that uh, eventually will lead them to the final gift that they open um, on Christmas. And it's not necessarily the coolest gift or the best gift. The the quest is the thing that they really enjoy. Um, and it incorporates knowledge of things that they really like or that I really like. And so it's just kind of a fun thing for our family. It's a, It started with my dad um, sometimes doing something like that, much shorter and much less involved, but like maybe three or four clues that you have to follow around the house. And now they've gotten really much more elaborate as I've taken that tradition and run with it. Um, so anyway, as I've mentioned before, um, we are putting together... There's, there's a loft area upstairs that has been used to keep toys that they have outgrown. And so we want to repurpose that 
that's place. And so we're going to put a TV up there as a secondary place. They can play video games so that like if one of them wants to play on the main TV downstairs, the other one can still use the upstairs TV now. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and at the same time, I'm handing down some of my consoles that just don't really get much use in my office anymore, namely the Retron 5 and my PlayStation TV, which plays a number of games that originally released on PlayStation 1 and, uh, and on, on PlayStation Vita as well. And so they're going to get, and then also, since I was able to get a PS5, that, and it does play backwards compatible all the games that I want to play on it, they're also going to get my PlayStation 4 uh, up there as well. And so I just went through all my library and started downloading all the games that I thought were age-appropriate for both of them, and, or at least Asher. Um, I may I might have to put restrictions, you know, but I think almost all, if not all of them, are age-appropriate for both of them as far as their temperaments and, and uh, potential sources of temptation, I think. Uh, anyway, so I just thought I would go through that. It's because it's, it's so... It's, it's crazy when you've been kind of like collecting, uh, especially like indie games... Uh, these relatively inexpensive indie games that over the years that I've just, without realizing it, I've collected a number of games that are really nicely age-appropriate. Uh, not not all of them are indie, you know. Some of them are. Like, the first one is The the Crew 2, which is Ubisoft's open-world racing game, which ultimately I kind of fell off of. Um, I still, on in theory, would like to play it now and then, but it's such a hefty download that I'm just like, ah, I don't know. Um... But it's a big open-world racing game, or just, uh, I mean, you can go off-road, too. It's like basically the United States. It's a slightly more compact version of the United States. But you can drive from coast to coast in that game, or fly in a plane, um, or if there's waterways, you can take speedboats as well. So many different kinds of vehicles, so many different types of driving activities, not just racing, but also like just exploring there are some you can get upgrade points and uh, to get new vehicles and stuff just from taking on exploration missions where it's not time sensitive you just got to go to go to this point and discover this point you know so there's just so much there that i think he'll enjoy um he really likes that kind of open world driving stuff he discovered that with mad max when i would let him play some of the driving stuff but you know, I don't want him playing all the other uh, on-foot combat stuff, and there's just elements in that game that are really dark and disturbing and violent and gory and stuff that I don't think he's ready for yet. And so, um, looking for games that can scratch that itch of, oh, he really likes playing the driving stuff in Saints Row 2 as well, but I mean, for the same reason, I don't let him play any of the on-foot stuff. And uh, so anyway, it's just the perfect fit, perfect fit for him. And that's just one game. There's also... Um, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which I really want Asher to um, try Castlevania Symphony of the Night. I think, since I'm also getting them um, a, a hard drive for the 360 that will just allow them to have a ton of games on it without having to pick and choose, well, if we're going to play this one, if we're going to try this one, we have to make room by deleting this one. I think that has kept them from really trying and exploring a lot of different types of games that they could just easily jump in, see if it's their thing, and then jump out. Um, and, but the file size for Castlevania is really small. So, I mean, that's in that particular case, that wouldn't be the reason. But anyway, uh, I think he would really like that kind of game a lot. And so I've got Bloodstained on there, but actually I'm going to encourage him to try Symphony of the Night first. Um, what's this game? Monster, Monster Slayers. It's a, uh, it's a roguelite, uh, card-based, uh, fantasy RPG type thing. Um, 
I bought it when I was really into Deep Sky Derelicts and Darkest Dungeon. I haven't really given it that much time, but certainly in terms of the content, I think it's going to be just fine for them. Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time, this is a very... I mean, the, the title sounds very grown up because when you use the word lover, you're usually talking about, you know, something, there's something sexual going on there. But this is lovers in the most innocent sense. It's these cute little aliens that are just all about love. They just want to love people. They just want to spread love around the universe. <laughs> so it's a co-op game where you are with your friends piloting the ship together. One of you is controlling weapons. One of you is controlling uh, the thrust of engines to steer the ship around. One of you is controlling... There's all these different things that are needed for different situations that you run into as you're navigating this 2D environment. And it's bright uh, pinks and purple colors and stuff. Um, so it's very colorful. And But despite that aesthetic, it can be really, um, on the higher difficulties, plenty challenging and nerve-wracking and can challenge you to get along with the people that you are working cooperatively with because you have to agree in the moment on the fly okay well who's going to do this i want to do this weapon i want to do thrusters i want to control shields or whatever you know you have to you can't be you have to learn to let go and let other people try different stations that they would like to try and you have to be willing to depend on them to control the shields or to do the firing or to uh, to steer the ship around because steering the ship will depend on what parts of the ship are exposed to oncoming blasts from, you know, enemy ships and stuff. So, um, so that will be a test for them to get along. <laughs> but I can imagine as we are kind of, uh, christening the game loft that that would be one. I have three controllers for PS4 and I'll probably keep one of them, um, to just stay with my PS5 because you can play PS4 you can use the PS4 controller on the PS5 to play PS4 games. And so as to not wear out uh, my PS5 controller any faster than I need to, I'll probably keep my newest of those three PS4 controllers, even though they've all held up really well. Um, I'll uh, I'll probably uh, keep one of them down there. But, you know, anyway, I can bring it up there for that, and we can play three, three-player lovers in a dangerous space-time. You can have up to four players in that game. Um, another one is Portal Knights that I downloaded with the intention of trying with Asher as an alternative to Minecraft, because, and it has split screen co-op as well for, I think, just up to two players. And of course, online, you know, co-op. Uh, but it's a, it's a Minecraft type of game, but, and it, it is kind of blocky, but not as blocky. And the, the textures, uh, are nicer and the, the, the graphics have smooth round edges, you know, so <laughs> it doesn't have the complexity and depth of Minecraft, but it definitely has an aesthetic that is much more palatable for me. Unfortunately, the control scheme on PS4 was just not working for me. And so I downloaded it, I got into it to give it a try in hopes that I could, it'd be something that me and Asher could enjoy together. And just testing it out myself, I was like, oh crap, I'm glad I didn't pay too much for this. I hate these controls. I don't know why they would choose to have it control like this. And the control options... Uh, that you have to uh, re- rebind keys on the PS4 were just not enough, complex enough to be able to do what I wanted to do. It would it would have involved changing things that were on sticks to things that were on triggers or vice versa. And I don't think you can really do that easily on the uh, PS4. So, <clears throat> but, you know, it's there in case they want to explore it and check it out. Stardew Valley. This is a 16-bit uh, farming simulator that also has a little bit of dungeon delving, which I have not reached yet in my playthrough. <clears throat> I've got a save for it on my Vita that I've restarted a number of times. And uh, it is a sweet little game. And it's got... one. 
one thing that's great about, I mean, the, the whole appeal of this game from the very beginning, the, the protagonist is a person who's been working in a cubicle and they just are feeling run down and unappreciated, unvalued in this corporate machine that they're a part of. And they have inherited some land from their grandfather who passed away a number of years ago and gave him this envelope and uh, said, you know, uh, don't open this now, but save this for a day when you just feel like you are run down by life and you just want to get away. I can't remember. It's this really beautiful kind of a uh, uh, sweetly stated thing in the opening kind of cutscene. Um, and he opens it up and you open it up and you discover that you've been given this land uh, that your grandfather owned. And so you or uncle or I don't know what relative he is. Anyway, you go there. It's all run down because it's been untouched for years since he passed away. But you own this land and can now make it work the land and make it be what you want it to be. And it's a sweet 16 brightly colored aesthetic. It's got peaceful music. Um, and one thing that it, that it does really well, um, that, that is not, you know, typical of 16 bit games. Oops. What is that for? Oh, that means I got to take potatoes out of the oven. They're going to burn. All right. Let me just finish this thought about uh, Stardew Valley and then I'll come back to it. Um, but the, the sound effects are much have much higher fidelity than they would have back on the Super NES. And so when you're pouring water, and this just tells you like, I'm a bit of an audiophile, I guess. Uh, when you're pouring water to water plants, it just has this really satisfying little trickling water sound. And when you're chopping down a tree, you're hacking at it with your axe, and then it falls over. It's really satisfying, you know. And uh, and it's a it's. The reason I didn't stick with it is because you have sort of this stamina meter that's depleting, and so you can only do so much work every day, and then you're just pooped. And I think you can even poop, your out so, poop yourself out so much that you, you're not in a position to be able to work the next day. And I much prefer, like, Dragon Quest Builders, that kind of uh, farming, crafting, whatever game, where it's like, I just just let me do and craft as much as I want to do. Don't tell me you got to take a break and go back to your house and sleep. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And they, I think they force a, a night day mechanic on you in part because there are seasons in this game. And I get that. But just let me work through the night. Just give me unlimited stamina. <laughs> but anyway, I totally get why it has so much appeal for so many gamers. And, um, and so I'm happy to have it on there to see if maybe it strikes a chord with one of my boys. Let's see. Uh, Battle Chasers Night War. That's one that uh, I played some during the Extra Life live stream. Uh, Airship Syndicate's game um, that is a turn-based, <clears throat> kind of very very similar to Final Fantasy. I think that that it's got really nice updated uh, cartoon type of D and D style aesthetics that I think that my oldest, that Asher, will really um, will really dig. He already likes that kind of game. And speaking of that kind of game, Final Fantasy twelve <clears throat> is one that I would really like to. Uh, introduce Asher to. I'd, I'd love to him, for him to experience one of these big, sprawling uh, Final Fantasy games. This one, it does not have the same type of combat system. That's the thing. Like he's he's 13, but I I do still wonder like what kind of complexity of systems he's ready for. Um, he's played and enjoyed uh, uh, Oblivion, The Elder Scrolls Oblivion, but in some ways, Final Fantasy excuse me, Final Fantasy twelve is a more complex game because of all the stats, well, not stats, but all the equipment you have to manage and the big, like, uh, development tree 
the the whole chart that you have to fill out with stats and stuff. So, but I mean, I've got a mammoth strategy guide that he could use as well. So I, I don't know. I, if if he, yeah, I guess he's really kind of gotten into oblivion now. So maybe he's maybe he's already passed uh, JRPGs at this point and moved into Western RPGs. But and. Skyrim is going to be on there. I think that that alone could make him flip. Uh, he'll be really excited about that. Um, the Last Guardian. Now, this is one that because I got on a deep discount one year of PlayStation Plus just to play with my buddy, you know, that was the only value I saw in it. Um, and so I was like, I, I don't want to pay any more than I have to. And, and that, you know, I, I paid about 30, 36, 35, something like that, dollars. I think there's actually a similar deal running right now. I can't remember where. I don't know if it's on the PlayStation Store. I think IGN. You go to IGN and look at their deals, and you enter in an IGN code during checkout, and you can get a year of PlayStation Plus for like in the mid-30s instead of like 60 bucks or whatever it is. And, you know, once I got that, I suddenly realized, oh, there's a bunch of games here that I that would not have motivated me to get PlayStation Plus. But now that I have them, there's a few that I want to give a second chance to. And there's a a bunch of others that I'm like, I've never played. They're not my type of game, but they are hugely respected and celebrated games that I'm like, oh man, my boys might really like this. And The Last Guardian is one of those that I think my youngest Titus might really enjoy. It's got this young boy in what looks like an ancient Greece type of setting, except the mythology is not ancient Greece. There's this giant dog bird type thing that looks a lot like the creature from The NeverEnding Story, a blend of dog and bird, except it doesn't talk. And you control the boy, but the dog is... All the, I mean, the the selling point of this game is this dog bird thing. Um, they gave so much attention to making it feel like this living, breathing thing with its own will that you have to coax into doing things. You have to teach to do things, and I just think my that that would appeal to the uh, every kid's desire to have a dog, to have a pet, you know. But here's this giant, awesome pet that can do these amazing, huge things. And there's also, I see some in the trailers and stuff like some climbing and whatnot, and Titus is really into like parkour. I mean, he is just an Assassin's Creed fan waiting to happen, but you know, he's not, he's not ready for that content. (laughs) Um, So I'm just thinking this could seriously scratch some neat itches for him that I will look forward to allowing him to explore. Uh, Let's see, boy, I'm hearing a little popping in my... What is that? Hopefully that's just in my headphones. I, I apologize if you're hearing any of that any any kind of weird popping on your end. I'll try to keep an ear out for it. Um similar to Last Guardian, another game that I wouldn't have any interest in normally, is Ratchet and Clank. This came out for the PS4. Now it's not the new one. There's a new one coming out that's for the PS5. I can't remember if it's come out yet or not. It's just totally these games are totally off my personal radar. But Ratchet and Clank, hugely uh respected game. Um, it's got that cartoon aesthetic. It's a third-person uh, action shooter type thing with, I think, a, a good amount of platformy stuff in it. Um, and it just and it's made by Insomniac, who also made the recent Spider-Man games. And so it's it's got some of the same kind of DNA uh, as that type of game. So I don't know that it's going to be really heavy into platforming, like a Crash Bandicoot type of thing or like a 3D Mario type thing. I, I don't know. Uh, I just watched the one or two reviews. Um, 
it looks like a lot of running around in big environments and shooting bad guys, as opposed to like hopping and jumping and trying not to fall into eternal pits. And so I think that there could be a ton of appeal there for uh, for Titus in particular. I think both boys could maybe be interested in it. Um, but anyway, uh, just Titus really likes... Um, he, he's been bugging me to play Far Cry. Likewise, I don't think he's ready to play Far Cry because of the content concerns there. But if there could be like a third-person shooter, basically, that he would be appropriate for, this could very well be it. So uh, very excited to just show those games to my youngest uh, alone. And I think, you know, my oldest Asher might enjoy them too. We'll see. Now, I don't think I mentioned it before, but these games are part of the PlayStation Plus collection. They're not like most PlayStation Plus games where you get them for free only the the month that you are subscribed. They kind of go in and out. They, they become free. You add them to your library. And then as long as you have your PlayStation Plus subscription active, um, then you can download them and play them. Um, and you can take a month or six off and then get your subscription again. And whatever you had previously uh, checked and you know added to your library in a previous time that you were on the subscription service will be back again and available for you. So, um, so anyway, uh, let's see. What's this other one? I, I've not, I'm not, I never got around to reviewing this. It's called Ninth Dawn Three: Shadow of Earthel. and <laughs> it's kind of a weird title. Um, but uh, that is ultimately not a game that I stuck with because it was a little bit too grindy progress, happened a little bit too slowly. But in some ways, it's like a pixel graphics... Uh, I, I want to say Skyrim, but it only has about 60% of the complexity and systems in it that Skyrim does, but that's still quite a bit. I mean, there's all kinds of crafting stuff and different missions. And um, if, if you're not familiar with this game at all, it's a little indie game. And uh, if that interests you at all, like a like a low-fidelity version of a open-world fantasy game... It doesn't have all the kinds of uh, NPC schedules, daily schedules, and the kind of role-playing interactions that you would have. But as far as the the game systems of like armor and upgrading armor and making potions and you know all all those kinds of uh, mechanical systems, uh, very much like a game like Skyrim. And uh, but the but the graphical style is pixel art. And it has, for a pixel art game, a pretty serious kind of vibe to it. It has a fairly drab color palette, which I, <laughs> I always like. Uh, but the animation's very kind of flash animation looking. So it, it, you have to be in this game and interested in this game for the systems. But if you enjoy the systems and you enjoy what this game has to offer, it's uh, there's a lot packed into this little game uh, for, a, for a very low price. And, and you can play two-player uh, couch co-op and that was something that I tested out with Asher and he seemed to enjoy that experience so I don't know that he'll take initiative to play this game once he has access to it but I've got it pre-installed in there and I'm just going through now the games that are pre-installed there are a bunch of other games they have access to but these are the ones that I was like these are the ones that um, they're, they're most likely to enjoy or I know that they already have enjoyed or would enjoy you know um and so if you're wondering why I'm sticking on this topic for so long, I guess it's just kind of like uh, in lieu of an actual formal segment about like games your kids might enjoy. So hopefully you'll f- find it maybe useful in that regard. Because if you listen to this podcast, there is a chance that um, a big sale is going on right now for either Xbox or PlayStation 
um, during the, the the week between Christmas and New Year's. Very often, PlayStation at least will have a sale going on. And so just thought I'd bring some of these games to your attention because I would guess that one or more of them are bound to uh, be on sale. And uh, and maybe it'd be the right time for you to just uh, download something for, that's not expensive that you can get on your uh, PlayStation 4 or your Xbox One, and while you have some free time with your family, play it. Uh, the next game up that would be like a great example of that is Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. And Titus, my 10-year-old, loves this game. Now, <clears throat> the challenge will be him wrangling others to play it with him. Uh, when we are having friends over or family gatherings or whatever, he's always itching to play this. But those who've played it before... You either are into it or you're not. You're either in the mood for Keep Talking, Nobody Explodes, or you're not. And if you're not familiar with this game, basically, the, there's you're trying to disarm a bomb um, when you don't know what you're doing. It simulates that stereotypical scene in movies where a person finds themselves staring at a bomb that's going to go off after 30 seconds. It's counting down or whatever. And they've got, they're on the phone with somebody or otherwise connected to somebody who can't see the bomb, but they know things about bombs and can talk them through what to do. Uh, and so the person looking at the bomb, who doesn't know anything about bombs, has to describe the bomb to the person that is not looking at it, but is an expert. And the way this is simulated is you got one player that's allowed to look at the screen and they hold the controller and they can manipulate the bomb with the controller, turn it over, look at all the sides, uh, toggle things on and off if there are buttons and switches and things like that. And, uh, the other person, or persons, it can be more than one person in this role, are the experts. And they have a bomb defusal manual. They, you're, you're given a website with the PDF. You print it out. And you can put it in a binder or whatever if you want. And uh, they are sitting in front of the TV with their back to the TV, just facing the, the person with the controller. And so the person with the controller looking at the bomb, which is maybe over their, you know, over their shoulders or whatever, uh, is describing what they're seeing. And the person... Or persons with the manual are frantically flipping through the manual, trying to find the right spots that correspond to what uh, the player, the first player, is uh, describing to them. And in that way, in a limited amount of time, they have to talk them through how to disarm the bomb. And uh, it spikes in difficulty really quick. I think there's a sweet spot, and luckily you can replay levels of difficulty, and the bomb will be re-randomized. And so you can find a sweet spot. And you'll get randomized bombs over and over again at that difficulty level. But advancing through the game, I found I, I'm never going to be able to beat this game. It's just going to be uh, too intense, too stressful, way too not my kind of game. But I bought it so that I could have at parties and social situations with people who uh, normally wouldn't play other kinds of games. Um, but this is like a fun kind of party game experience. So this could be like a great title for a New Year's Eve party to pull out. In fact, we're going to have a couple of families over that we've been uh, just kind of committed to walking alongside and sharing our lives with them and them with us over the last couple of years, and we're going to have them over for New Year's Eve. And so this will probably be a, a game that I pull out just because I enjoy seeing people experience it for the first time. Um, once the novelty is worn off, uh, I, am not interested in it, but I, I love showing it to people and <laughs> having them experience it. So, uh, I imagine that we will be getting that, that one out again. That's called keep talking and nobody explodes. And, and that will be part of the collection that my boys have, uh, instant access to. Another one that I know Titus will look forward to is Rezogun. And this is an updated version of Defender, which is an arcade classic that is a side-scrolling, a spaceship shooter, but unlike many shooters in this genre, you are on a single planet that 
eventually you loop around from one end of the planet to the other just by traveling from left to right on the screen. You eventually make a full circle all the way around. So if you can imagine the planet is like a cylinder that you are flying around the top of on the outer edge, uh, then you've got the right picture in your head. Um, But while that was kind of an abstraction or just kind of a concept in the uh, original arcade game. In this one, they've made it all 3D, and so you can actually see the cylinder planet that you are on the top of, and all these voxel graphics and stuff, and, uh, and the way things explode. I mean, it's very cool. It's very cool looking. I think it even, I think it holds up wonderfully, uh, and, and it was it was fantastic at the start of the PS4 generation, and uh, and I think it's still great now. And you can have. Uh, up to two players in uh, couch co-op on that game. And Titus and... I almost said Mommy, because <laughs> that's what we call her. Uh, but Titus and Holly beat this game together on the Rookie, on the easiest difficulty. And I've beaten it on the Rookie difficulty as well. And on the second difficulty up, now that I think of it. Um, anyway, it's... Uh, uh, that's, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. That's Rezogun. And it's got some cool... Like, unlike Defender, you are gaining upgrades that you carry from one level to the next. And so it's not that you can grind for upgrades like an RPG, but there is that sense of progression. And the ship that you are using at the end of the game is significantly more capable than the ship that you that you start out with. So, uh, yeah, st- that's still a game that I like to, just for brief moments every once in a while, I'll come back to and just like, I just want something that's not this big in-depth thing, but that is a cool rich experience that I can also jump in and jump out of uh, after a brief play session. And there's not a lot of games like that that are both rich and interesting and engaging um, and are graphically uh, impressive that are just jump in, jump out kind of games. So um, let's see. There's also Terraria. I don't have much to say about that one. I've played with it very little, but it's basically like a a 2D Minecraft. It's like a side-scrolling version of Minecraft where you're dropped on this planet and you can mine for materials and there's a night cycle and the bad things come out at night and you got to defend yourself against those things. So um, it's not something that ended up interesting me, mainly because of the control scheme. As I've said before, there's things about Minecraft that I think I would really enjoy if I just didn't have to look at that aesthetic. I hate that boxy, cubey aesthetic that is not just cubey, but also really um, low-fidelity textures. It's it's a novelty. That's the novelty of the game. And I hate that novelty. <laughs> I'd be much more interested if all those cubes just had slightly rounded edges and nice looking textures. Or hey, that they maybe weren't all cubes, you know. Uh, something as uh, simple of an upgrade as what Dragon Quest Builders offers. Um, and uh, speaking of which, did I even mention that on here? That should be... Oh, I don't see it. it must not. I must not have it installed at the moment. But... Um... It is, uh, oh, I should install that. I'll bet I could fit it on there. Oh, it is on there. It is on there. I just, um, <laughs> this is the first time I ever ran into this issue. When you're on your PS4, you've got that, uh, at the home page, you've got this big long line of games that are, uh, that are, uh, installed and ready to play, but they don't all fit on there. You run out of room after a while, and then you have to actually go to your library and look at your list of installed games. So, actually, let me pull that up, because I don't want to miss any of the games that might be worth mentioning. Okay, I've got it pulled up now. Did I mention Spider-Man on PS4, that that's going to be on there, and that I think they're going to have a lot of fun with it? That's, that is the closest thing to like having a game that I am really excited about, I really enjoyed, 
really excited is the wrong word, but I really enjoyed my experience with that game. And to be able to share that with, with both of them, both, not just Asher, but Titus as well, is, uh, is going to be fine for the content in that game. And so, and this is a game they've also heard about these games. They've watched Dan TDM, I think, play through um, all of Spider-Man PS4, or at least the final boss battle or something. So, yes, it's, it's a little bit lame that it's been spoiled for them, but I, that's just kind of like this, maybe it's just this generation. They're just so used to pl- watching games and being content to watch them be played all the way through. That's such a weird thing to me. To, to see a game that you would potentially be interested in playing spoiled for you by someone else, by watching someone else play it on YouTube. I, I don't get it. But anyway, I am so happy that Spider-Man PS4 is on there. Um, let me cycle through here. What else we got? Um, I gotta go to my library. Uh, no, that's purchased. I need installed. Um... Oh, I gotta go all the way down to the bottom here. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, okay, so there was oh yeah, Twisted Metal Black. That's uh, that's a PS2 game um, that I got really cheap. Actually, last Christmas there was a big sale. We were going out to visit Holly's family in Pennsylvania, and I just kind of wanted some multiplayer games that would be pretty appealing to a wide variety of gamers and I thought okay a lot of people are gonna get the idea of driving around in cars and shooting each other you know (laughs) and so uh, that that was a good purchase at the time I am gonna have to instruct my boys to not delete PT for those of you who don't know PT stands for playable teaser and it was the playable teaser for Silent Hills a game from um, uh, Hideo Kojima and Guillermo del Toro that ended up being canceled and but the but PT is considered by some to be the best game on PlayStation 4, even though it's just a teaser for a game that never got made. Um, but it's a pretty complete experience in and of itself, um, and it's a first-person horror game. And uh, it's you cannot, unlike other games that get taken off the PlayStation Store, you cannot re-download this game once you've deleted it. And so uh, I don't dare delete it. It only takes up like one and a half gigabytes, so it's not really huge. And there's just something about, I, I don't like the idea of ever deleting it and getting rid of it. <laughs> I mean, I suspect that uh, when my PS4 becomes useless and broken down and stuff, and it's not good for almost anything else, it will still have some value in the market just for having PT on it. <laughs> so if nothing else, I'm hanging on to it for that. Uh, let's see here. Oh, um, No Man's Sky. You know, it kind of struck me. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I was thinking about it for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, here's this big game that like a bunch of mains, you know, it's really a mainstream gamer type of audience for this game. And yet as I thought about it, I was like, yeah, there's not really blood. You're just fighting maybe these little creatures, these little alien type things. There's not not really anything that's going to be too scary. There's definitely stuff that made me jump and surprised me and probably would to both of my boys. But this is not like a, and it's rated, I think it's rated T. It's definitely not rated M. And, uh, and Titus has watched me play it enough that I know he's interested in it. I know he's interested in it. And, uh, and both of the boys, they they like Minecraft. And so they like this, the deep systems of a crafting game. And it's got that, it's got the creative mode on this. So they could just pop that on, not worry about survival, which is, I imagine what they would do, but have this galaxy playground now instead of just Minecraft. And, uh, you know, I'm just thinking to myself, oh man, the, what the, the world's 
of different types of games that I could introduce them to. And uh, because, I mean, I, I think that, personally, I think No Man's Sky is far superior to Minecraft. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's an exciting, that's an exciting one to pass along. That's in some ways more exciting for me to pass along than Spider-Man. Um, what else? Oh, Inferno 2. They, they've played the original Inferno on, uh, on the, um, Xbox 360. Not to be confused with Dante's Inferno. Inferno is a top-down space shooter, but only kind of in an abstract sense, because the graphics look like it's a game from the world of Tron, where it's all, it's a black background, and it's all neon mazes that you're flying your neon ships through that are just glowing, uh, skeletons of a neon uh, type of circular looking ship and and they are action RPGs you know you can get these upgrades from one level to the next and, and spend them on various things and multiple difficulty levels you can have well in, th- in on the 360 original game you can have up to four player co-op unfortunately on the PS4 it's just two player but I think in almost every circumstance that's going to be plenty for them um, so uh, it's uh, this one this one is a bit too uh, frenetic. Not frenetic, it's not the right. Busy. The screen gets too busy with too many particles flying everywhere. It's one of those games where there's so much going on at the screen sometimes that you lose track of who you are and which bullets are yours. And I'm not really a fan of that. It's It was thankfully very, very cheap. I mean, the, the original game was 99 cents on the Xbox 360. I don't think you can get it there anymore. I think I looked and I couldn't find it. But Inferno 2 is less than five, I believe, uh, on the PlayStation Store, unless uh, I got it on sale. But I, I, it's, I, think it's, I think it's very inexpensive. And uh, if you haven't played Inferno 1, I think Inferno 2, just on the basis of the first one alone, would be worth it if, if the description sounds cool to you. Um, like a, an old-school, arcade-style, you know, top-down space shooter. Look at the footage so you understand, you know, look up trailers or whatever so you understand the visuals. Because if you're not a fan of the visuals, that could be a big turnoff. But if you look at the visuals like, oh, yeah, then also know that it's got these cool upgrading elements between levels and uh, multiple difficulties. And, um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, think it's, I think it's a really, really cool series of games. I'm just, you know, not, I haven't played through all of the second one yet because I think I've played through the first one and it's like, uh, I don't want the, you know, I I didn't love the first one that much that I'm willing to kind of put up with, uh, the, the, the downsides of the second one. Um, but if I hadn't played the first one and was just getting into Inferno 2, um, then I think it would still be quite the novelty to me and I would really enjoy what it has to offer. Um... I already talked about, let's see, Final Fantasy XII, Zodiac Age. Oh, yeah, okay, Dragon Quest Builders. So these, both boys have been interested in this game since I had it. Um, Especially, I think, because I described it as like a, it's like Minecraft, but it's a little bit different, you know. uh, It's not as deep, you can't do as many things in it as you can do in Minecraft, but you can still build and do all this kind of stuff in A, B, and C, and... And there's been a number of times where Asher has has uh, wanted to figure out a way that he could play Dragon Quest Builders. And, you know, the problem was there was just not going to be a, cons- a way that he could consistently make progress in the game because it's stranded on a console that stays in Daddy's office all the time. And if Daddy's not using it, then he's doing something else in his office that he can't have boys in there during, you know. Um, but now for them to have access to this and be able to... Be- I mean, I have the second game, too. Um, so they may just want to jump straight to that for all I know, but uh, but th- but I have the first one installed, um, so that uh, they can jump right into that if they want to. 
Um, I created, as a side note, I created a trailer for this. You know, I talked about the Christmas quests, and then I think I got on a big rabbit trail and never got back to this thought. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but um, the theme of the Christmas quests this year is going to be the the chipmunks. Um, I'm going to have, um, like, uh, the I'm gonna, it's, it's going to be a bunch of audio files that they have to listen through in the right sequence. So the first one will have the Christmas, Christmas time is near time. And that'll fade out very quickly. And then I will do my own, I will create my own chipmunk voices. I'll talk to them. I'll record myself and pitch myself up to make it sound like chipmunks and, and explain to them basically that uh, they are... Um, that the chipmunks and their friends have gotten together and remade chipmunk versions of all their favorite movies. And if they can um, guess the names of these movies, um, then they will fo- they'll be able to follow the clues that will lead them to their present, which also has a really cool trailer, you know, uh, that they can, that they can watch to tell them about what it is. Um, and so what, what they're going to do, what I'm going to do is just get online, record audio of from multiple movies that my wife and the boys have seen, and then just pitch them up and then just let them listen to, uh, these chipmunk versions. And once they identify, okay, this is Pride and Prejudice, then they go to the Pride and Prejudice DVD or Blu-ray, they open it up, and it gives them a number of the next audio file to listen to on the laptop. So they'll go back to the laptop, and all these audio files will just have numbers that they'll be identified as. And so that's how they're going to go back and forth between the laptop listening to chipmunk versions of movie trailers. <laughs> and then going and finding the right one and getting the next piece of paper that gives them the next number and so on and so forth. And so after they've done all of that, then uh, they'll get to the final trailer that I created um, a couple months ago when I got this idea for this game loft. And I wish I could share it with you guys. I mean, it's, uh, I might be able to get away with, I don't know. I, I might experiment with sharing it with patrons or something. I don't want to put it on the Christian Geek Central YouTube channel because that doesn't make any sense to put it there, but maybe patrons would like it. And I'll have to see if I have the YouTube rights because I basically used um, I used licensed music that I purchased for my audio dramas. I have a bunch of licensed music, some that I've used, some that I haven't. I think this might actually be a track that was used in one of my audio dramas. I can't remember, but I've repurposed it here. Uh, and it's this big, epic trailer sounding music that um that kind of like uh is an introduction to the uh to the game loft area that's going to be upstairs that will then be unveiled for them after the trailer we're going to bring them downstairs in the morning um with blindfolds on i think we'll go and get they'll be instructed to stay in their rooms and we'll cover up the, the stuff that's in the game loft anyway in case they peek or have to come through in the middle of the night or something but um so anyway th- this this uh, awesome epic <laughs> trailer is going to uh, introduce them to the game loft and then tell them to go upstairs and check it out and so uh anyway really looking forward to that moment but um so going on here with the list of games um the next one deep sky derelicts i actually wonder if this will be too complicated for titus to really enjoy but he so enjoyed watching me play it he would ask me when i was playing through this game can I watch you play Deep Sky Derelicts? Like, before my, my work day had even finished, he was like, are you going to play Deep Sky Derelicts tonight? Can I watch you play Deep Sky Derelicts tonight? You know, so... Um, so I think he really just enjoys the aesthetic of it, something about the aesthetic. Um, I, I don't know if how he would do with the deck management stuff, but I do... I am surprised now and then with how bright my boys are compared to <laughs> where I was at mentally, <laughs> intellectually at their age. Some of the games that they're able to understand, the tabletop games that they're able to understand, 
Um, so he might be better equipped for this than I think, but I don't know. But I, I think it'll just be a novelty that he'll be able to, that he'll, he'll have access to it and he can play it if he wants to and get in there and play around and see if he's able to play it and enjoy it. And if not, there's going to be just a, a avalanche of other games here um, for him to, to play. Um, let me see. I think that is all the games installed right now on the PS4. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let me keep going on with my uh, list. I took pictures earlier of screens that were showing the games that they had access to. So that's the PS4 games. Now the PlayStation TV. Um, Bastion is on there. And this is... I've not played much of this. It's a... It, it very much reminds me of a Diablo-style game. It's top-down, kind of cartoony aesthetic. Um, very celebrated game. I'm trying to remember what the name of the, the studio is, but they they basically only make games that are loved. <laughs> um, something Fish? Is Fish in the title? I don't know. They also made Hades and um, Transistor, I think is the name of the game. But Bastion was the first one that really put them on the map. And uh, so anyway, I, I think that uh, that could be a game that one or both of them would enjoy. Chasm, I would love, uh, again, for either one of them to play. I really want to introduce them to these symphony-like style of games that are patterned after Castlevania Symphony of the Night. And Chasm, um, while not reaching the heights of most of those symphony-like games in the Castlevania series, is still a great game. And uh, I, yeah, so it's... It, something I've also made, because um, this is going to be such an overload, even just the games that are installed on there, let alone the ones that they have access to potentially, which they'll have to ask my permission for and yada, yada, yada. But um, it's going to be so much overload. And some of these games they've never heard of. They, If I said the name to them, they'd be like, oh, I don't care. You know, Dan TDM doesn't play it. And so, <laughs> so what I'm also cutting together are reels uh, of trailers, you know, like there's one that's 20 minutes long. There's one that's 30 minutes long that I'm thinking we could just put on the TV while they're having lunch during Christmas break sometime and just like, let them watch the trailers for all these games and see which games stand out to them. Cause most of these games, they will, they will not touch for a long time there, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hoping and assuming that there'll be one or two for each of them that are like, Whoa, got to try that, you know? Um, games that they haven't, they haven't played before. I mean, you know, um, and hopefully Chasm is one of them down. Well, that's an, that's an even more like arcadey, uh, you're just, you're falling down instead of trying to climb up. You're always falling down deeper into this hole. It's a very drop in, drop out kind of arcadey game. Um, normally not my cup of tea. I got it on a deep discount before going on a, a family vacation this summer that would, probably require me to not have access to my PlayStation 4. So I, uh, with that in mind, bought some, you know, just short attention span arcadey games for the Vita. And so Downwell was one of those. Elmenage Original, if you guys have watched my live streams uh, for Extra Life um, for the last few years, you've seen this at some point. It's a first-person turn-based dungeon crawler, grid-based as well. And unlike most games out there that are made today in that genre, even though it is made uh, in an Asian country, I can't remember if it's Japan or China or South Korea or something like that. It's uh, out there somewhere. Um, it uh, it doesn't use uh, anime aesthetics in the art style. It has very serious D&D &D style 
uh, art aesthetics. And I really, really appreciate it for that. There's definitely some clunkiness, like all the spells have really weird names that don't make any sense for what the spell does. But you can rename all the spells if you like, which I did. <laughs> and so unfortunately, I would, in order, f you know, I think if either of the boys, Asher would be the more likely one, my 13-year-old, he'd be the more likely one to have an interest in this game. I would have to help him um, break through that barrier. Because I think if he sat down and got a magic user in his party and looked at that, he'd be like, this is weird. These spells, I don't, you know... And so, um, and I had to do some research to figure out, okay, what do each of these spells do? Uh, okay, that's what it does. Okay, that's all, I'll name it this, you know. So, uh, but I think if he were to get past that, he, like me, would really enjoy just the turn-based fantasy uh, exploration and combat type stuff. Um, but if he's wanting to play things a little bit safer, I also have Final Fantasy Origins on there, which is the... Uh, PS1 versions of Final Fantasy and Final Fantasy 2. Final Fantasy 2, not to be confused with what was released in America as Final Fantasy 2, which actually in Japan was Final Fantasy 4. So this is the Final Fantasy 2 that was not on the NES released in the US. Uh, but it got an upgrade and was released on the PlayStation um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and that's when uh, that's when it, it made its way to U.S. audiences for the first time. And so, uh, and the boys have played through uh, Final Fantasy One like multiple times, multiple times, and they keep going back to that. They keep enjoying it. They've got it on their um, Asher's got it on his Game Boy Advance though, so I don't know that this is going to be much of a novelty. I think his Game Boy Advance version is actually better than the one that that I have here. But uh, and he's got he also has um, Final Fantasy Two. And I think probably a better version of it on his Game Boy Advance as well, which he could pop in and play on the Retron 5 if he wants to play that on a on a TV, you know. So, so I don't think that's much of a novelty. But what will probably very much be a novelty is Final Fantasy IV, the complete, uh, what is it called? The title's cut off here. The complete edition, the complete story. Um, but this is a this this came out on the PSP. And uh, is also playable on the PlayStation TV and PlayStation Vita. And it includes uh, an updated version of Final Fantasy IV, still 2D. Um, still, still that side perspective in the, in, the, in the combat and stuff like that. But definitely beautifully upgraded graphics. And, but otherwise, very much the same. And it also has... Uh, a sequel called Final Fantasy The After Years, and then it's got something in between. I can't remember the name of it, but it's kind of like a short uh, bridge uh, gameplay game experience between the two. So, And I, I, I've i got on my bucket list to play through Final Fantasy IV again uh, on, the, on my Vita so that I can get to those Final Fantasy IV experiences I have not played yet. But it just hasn't quite been worth it for me to, to play through again. Uh, I'm probably about a third of, ooh, geez, Louise, I'm probably about a third of the way through the game. Um, and just, I, I've come back to it maybe every nine months I'll play, like I'll play it for 15 more minutes or something. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, let's see, my alarm just got rid of my photos here. So, but I, I think that even though I've cooled on that game, um, I think it will definitely be a novelty to, uh, to, to Asher for sure. Let's see, Final Fantasy Tactics is one. This is from the PlayStation 1, and I, I put that on there just because he knows Final Fantasy. He knows that as a brand. Asher does. Um, I, I'm not confident at all that this would be a game he would want to stick with. 
it really gets hard. It really gets hard later on. I'm trying to remember if I ever actually beat it legitimately or if toward the end I was like, screw this, I'm using the Game Shark. Because I think there might have been just an absurd amount of grinding that was going to be required for me to beat the game. And I can't remember if I actually did that grinding or not. I might have used a game shark toward the very end just to finish off the last few boss battles or something. But, um, but you know, if if he just really, for some reason, gets tunnel vision for Final Fantasy and is not willing to try some of these other IPs that I think do Final Fantasy better than Final Fantasy, <laughs> um, then this would be an option for him. And, and some of these games that I put on here, I, it's not that I, I think there's a great chance that they'll enjoy them. I think it's just the novelty of they'll like the idea that this game exists and they have access to it, you know. And they'll they'll discover for themselves that whether or not they like it. And in some cases, they, there's a good chance they won't. But anyway, um, the next game, Habroxia. This is from Lilymo Games, which Colin Moriarty of Colin's Last Stand and formerly of Kind of Funny Games and IGN, uh, he bought, so he owns about half of this company, and they released uh, Twin Breaker, which I did a review of. And Habroxia 2, they released a trailer for that's going to be coming out in, I believe, February. I'm very much looking forward to that. Habroxia, the original, is a side-scrolling space shooter, but is more in the typical variety that you would find. Um, unlike Defender, it's not looping around a planet. It's going through linear stages. Um, and, but what's really cool about this one is that more than... Um, more than Defender, more than Resogun, you have RPG upgrading elements. Why do I say that? Because you can replay levels and continue building up your points. So say you're, you go through a level and you're blowing up stuff and you're getting experience points for each of those. Um, and at the end of that, you're able to get some upgrades, but level two, you still don't feel quite ready for go play level one again. And you keep building up more and more experience points. You can play, you can grind level one until you get the experience points to buy the upgrades you want to have to feel comfortable playing level two. Um, And you can do that through the whole game. And I was really, I reached out to the developer because I listened to uh, Colin's podcast, Sacred Symbols, and he talked a little bit about Hybroxia 2 and was really, you know, it was really shaping up and, you know, really excited about it. But he had also mentioned um, in, um, the development of Twin Breaker, that he didn't feel like the game was too hard, but he got a ton of feedback from people that like, this game is too hard. And um, they just didn't do enough playtesting, and they were themselves too familiar with the game to really have uh, perspective on how challenging it was going to be for players. And so because of that, I, I got in touch with the developer, and I said, hey, are you still going to have these great upgrading systems, the ability to grind for experience and upgrades? Uh, I'm just a little concerned because Colin, um, you know, said that uh, he doesn't think it's going to be too hard, but he also said that about Twin Breaker, which ended up being really hard, you know, so I'm just concerned about the upgrading thing. And the developer very sweetly got back to me and said, uh, I I think you'll be, you have nothing to worry about. I think you'll be very pleased. Um, There are a ton more upgrade options in the second game than in the first. And so that was really uh, that was really exciting for me to hear. And the, the trailer looks pretty cool, too. I'm not a fan of how it's a top-down view even when you're side-scrolling. You know, when I'm, when I'm flying a spaceship, uh, going from left to right, I want to see the, the side of that ship. But it shows me the top-down view of this ship even when it's traveling from left to right or right to left. 
And I don't get that. I understand why it might have been done, because this game does now and then switch, and he'll turn a corner, and suddenly it won't be a a horizontal side-scroller, it'll be a vertical scroller. And for one level, or for the second half of a level, suddenly you'll be moving upward through the level, as opposed to from left to right. And, you know, they can just use the exact same model. They don't have to create a new model that shows a top-down view because they've already been using a top-down view model. But most of the levels are side-scrolling left to right. And so I'm puzzled by that that choice. I mean, I guess maybe they thought it would be even weirder to have a side view and keep the side view when you're going from bottom to top. So maybe that was the thinking there, but I was a little bit sad to see that in the trailer for Hybroxia 2 that that is still the case. It's still the weird top-down thing even when you're going left to right. I, don't get me wrong. I've gotten over it for the most part <laughs> because I really do enjoy the experience that it offers. And, and uh, you know, it's got nice retro graphics. It's not really weird and dark and disturbing or gory or anything like that. And so I think it could be a really good fit for either one of my boys. Um, Legend of Mana. I've barely played any of this game. Um, I think this is part of like the Secret of Mana, Secret of Evermore type of games. Um, it uh, def- definitely has some of those kinds of mechanics in there. Um, and it's a... Uh, I think it was released for the equivalent of the Super Nintendo in Japan, but didn't come out here during that console generation and came later on PSP. So I've barely gotten into that, but uh, I did install it for them to be able to play. Uh, Parasite Eve I've got installed on there. Now this game is rated M, but in looking at it, there's not going to be you know uh, sexualized content that I think we need to worry about. Um, and the the graphics are so pixelated uh even in the even in the cutscenes um they don't look all that compared to what the boys have seen just looking over my shoulder they're going to be just fine with this game and i think titus because of his interest in horror i thought of him a little bit and asher because of his interest in you know jrpgs might be interested in it so i i think there could be some appeal for both of them in that game but it, it's one that i suspect they would try say ooh that's cool but then you know discover that there's things about it they don't like and they'll bounce out of it and that's fine um Rainbow Moon. This is a uh, turn-based tactical RPG that is uh, kind of a, has a similar perspective as like the uh, Final Fantasy Tactics, you know, what you would expect. But you start out as just one character and you build your party over time. And I don't think your party ever gets larger than four or five characters. I could be wrong about that. But uh, anyway, this is a game I got on a deep discount. I- I've never quite stuck with it. It's but uh, it. Um, I think that deeper into the game, it'll probably be something that I enjoy more, but the the opening parts of the game have just been moving a little too slow for me. But it's got a really nice uh, retro aesthetic, not not in terms of the fidelity of the graphics. The graphics are really nice. They look like PS2 2D sprites, maybe? No, they look better than that. It's, I mean, it's a really nice-looking game. Um, and uh, so I, I think that Asher maybe would... Like, if he, if he finds... If he were to play Final Fantasy Tactics and be like, oh, I've discovered I like this type of game, but this is this is getting too hard or too complicated, then I would say play Rainbow Moon. Um, and there's a lot to enjoy there. Uh, so that's just on there for them to just kind of explore and discover. Um, like I said, most of these games, I'm thinking, you know, they, they, they might not enjoy it all. Rollers of the Realm is an interesting one. If you ever played on NES pinball quest or pinball fantasy i can't remember what it's called but it's basically an rpg pinball game a pinball game that's also a fantasy rpg um i was obsessed with that game for a little while and never did get my hands on it until many years later many console generations later i went back to it i was like oh no uh, the time for this has passed but uh rollers of the realm kind of takes that concept 
of a fantasy RPG converted into a pinball game and modernizes it thoroughly. And uh, I can't remember why I kind of dropped out of this one. Probably have some notes somewhere to remind me why it's not going to be worth going back to for me. But uh, anyway, it's just one of those games that uh, I think that they might enjoy dinking around with. And a lot of these games are just kind of like, we'll see. I'm just putting, I'm just like throwing a bunch of crap against the wall and seeing what sticks based on them trying it out. Um, So I've only gotten maybe two hours into Rollers of the Realm. But it it uh, it looks very content friendly for for both of them, and uh, I just think the concept is really cool. Uh, Steam World Dig. That's mostly uh, because this is like a another one of those pseudo Minecrafty type games where you are digging, and I think you're doing some crafting. I mean, frankly, I've played very little of this game, but it just looks like the kind of game they would like. <laughs> And I say that uh, slightly rolling my eyes because I'm like, I don't know if this is the game for me. Got it on a deep discount. Never quite stuck with me. I bought it because it seemed to have a number of things in common with Symphony Likes. Uh, But the levels are randomly generated. That changes with the sequel, as I understand. But the first one, the levels are randomly generated. And getting into it, I was like, a little too much Minecraft and not near enough uh, Symphony-like for me. So, uh, But I can see that it would be something potentially for my boys to enjoy. Uh, Twin Breaker, A Sacred Symbols Adventure. I mentioned that earlier talking about uh, Colin Moriarty and his game. Um, And I've put a review of that up on the Christian Geek Center YouTube channel. So I'll let you go there if you want to check that out. It's it's a brick-breaking game. You're just moving paddles and bouncing the ball and breaking bricks and stuff and um that is one that titus and i finished i couldn't beat it on my own because at one point you have to as a single player control four paddles at once it was enough of a novelty in my mind you know with a name like twin breaker you're going to control two paddles at once i don't know that that's ever been done before this game in a brick breaker game but they did it it was cool and little did I know they were going to make it crazy complex and have you controlling four panels at once, which was just too much for my small, small brain, I guess. Um, but you can have two players either using the same controller or different controllers, each man two paddles, so that when you've got a four paddle level... You've got two players each controlling two paddles, much, much more manageable. And we were able to beat that game that way on one of our uh, France and Men retreats where we let Holly just have a weekend to herself to just have quiet and relaxation here at home while we all went to a cooped up hotel room and play video games all weekend. And uh, that was the that was a game that Titus and I were able to beat. So that was very, very cool to have his assistance for that. And then the last one on the PlayStation TV is Untold Legends Brotherhood of the Blade. This is a Diablo-like. And ultimately, I bounced out of it because the character class that I was able to play as didn't play the way I wanted it to. I wanted something that was more like a straight mage or a straight fighter. And well, I think there was a straight fighter, but I wanted more of a mage experience. And, um, so I, I just put this on the, on there just because I could, uh, because I could fit it on there. So I, I don't have any particular inklings that they're going to be really excited about that. Um, so let me see here. Let me jump back now to talking about my Christmas vacation a little bit and what I think I might end up playing. Um, on my PS5 right now, I have Monster Hunter World installed. I am going to continue, I think, doing some of those uh, like SOS missions where you help other players that are making their way through the story um, and you get special 
rewards for doing that. And one of them is a component that I need to upgrade a bunch of my equipment. And that is easily the fastest way to get my hands on that component. So uh, I imagine I'll do a number of more missions like that just to grind out and get those, get all my charms upgraded. Um, but uh, first I'm going to prioritize Spider-Man Miles Morales. Really looking forward to getting back into that and uh, getting all Christmassy with my Spider-Man action. And if I blaze through that really fast, then I may go back and play, or, or if I get to a point where it's like, okay, clearly we're out of the Christmas part of this game, then I will take a break from that, and I'll, I have the original Spider-Man, but remastered on my PS4, and there's, as I mentioned, DLC missions that I haven't finished, DLC story stuff that I haven't finished. Um, and then Cyberpunk 2077, I, I anticipate that <clears throat> basically what my plan right now, I'm assuming that I'm going to, from somebody, get either... Um, Somebody in my family is going to get me either an Amazon gift card or a PlayStation Store gift card. And so I'll wait and get, and once I have that, I will look and hopefully there will be a sale for uh, Cyberpunk 2077. And, uh, and I'll probably pull the trigger at that point. Um, unless I'm really on a roll with Spider-Man Miles Morales and I'm content at that point to just keep going with that game. But I really did enjoy my time with Cyberpunk uh, enough that even in the state that it's in right now... Um, I'll be interested in going back through it. It's in some ways a little bit disappointing because it scratches, it does scratch a similar itch in some ways to uh, a Bethesda RPG or like a, or like a, um, uh, what's the name of the studio? Not Black Isle, Obsidian, which I think they used to be called Black Isle at one point. Uh, I could be totally wrong on that. But you know, they made the Outer Worlds, which is basically Fallout in space. And so, um, but, but I mean, cyberpunk does not have the role play stuff going on. It's just got the sci-fi shooty stuff going on and it's first person. And, you know, I bought Mass Effect Andromeda a couple months ago because I was looking for a sci-fi shooter. Um, but that's third person and I really kind of wanted a first person, uh, shooter, sci-fi shooter experience. And so right now, cyberpunk 2077 is like, that's that's what I can get. Now, it does mean that I'll have to wade through some of the game issues that I didn't like, like the detective mode, reliving people's memories stuff, which I'm not really into. So hopefully there won't be a ton of that required in the story missions. But, you know, I'm interested enough that with the help of a gift card of some kind, uh, I would be ready to pull the trigger on that um, toward the end of this month or in January. Um, let's see here. What else? What else? Um... Oh, let's see here. We've got... There's the PS Plus collection, which I, I took a picture of here. This is this is something that I'll, I'll basically want to explore. So these aren't games that I'm committed to playing, but th this PS Plus collection, um, if I didn't mention it before, is unlike the, uh, the, the regular PS Plus games, where it's just like two are you know, presented to you every month. One, if you have PlayStation Plus, you have instant access to this entire collection. And it's just a static collection. It doesn't change from month to month. It is what it is. And so I'll just read through the games here. We've got uh, Crash, Bandicoot, Ins uh, Insane Trilogy, God of War, the recent one, Fallout 4, Mortal Kombat 10, Final Fantasy uh, 15 Royal Edition, Monster Hunter World, but not with Iceborne, Resident Evil, what is it, 7? Resident Evil 6? Whatever the most recent one is with a crazy family at the table. Uh, Persona 5, Battlefield 1, The Last Guardian, um, Call of Duty Black Ops 3, it looks like, Days Gone, Detroit Become Human, Uncharted 4, Batman Dark Knight, is that what I'm looking at? Or the, whatever the Gotham Arkham Knight, 
Arkham Knight, Batman Arkham Knight, um, Infamous Second Son, Until Dawn, Bloodborne, The Last of Us, and Ratchet and Clank. Um, Crash Bandicoot I didn't put on, on the boys' PS4 because just looking at reviews, it looks like it's too hard and punishing. I think they would just find it to be a frustrating experience, and so uh, I just left that off. But they have access to it, and they can ask me, and we can download that, and that'll be fine. Uh, God of War... Even though I have access to that for free now, I don't think I'm going to go back and finish that. I opted because it just had enough in it going on that was not my type of game, as I mentioned in my review. So you can go watch that if you want the details on my thoughts on that game. But I ended up watching the rest of the story on YouTube because I was like, well, I'm curious enough about the story to see where it goes. And I might be interested in playing the second one if they make the right kinds of changes to it. And so I might as well learn this story now, you know. Um, Fallout 4, I already own. Um, Mortal Kombat 10, I'm not going to have any interest in. Final Fantasy 15 Royal Edition. I have actually downloaded and installed this one on my PS5. Um, I, it's for a while now, I've thought to myself, I want to, I want to give this game another try. And the cheapest versions I could find for like under $10 were only the base edition. And in looking at reviews, the Royal Edition, I don't think adds anything that's going to fix the experience for me. But I'm just wondering if a few years and a fresh perspective and just being in a different place maybe will and and lowered expectations like, okay, it's not going to be this type of game. I mean, I've learned now that Final Fantasy just is not the franchise it was a long time ago. And so I shouldn't I just need to put those words Final Fantasy out of my head. Just get into this game and try to appreciate it for what it is. And so I, I, I really want to give that another shot because the production values, as I said in my review, are like pretty close to second to none you know when you see one of those uh big giant summon monsters for the first time you approach it and you realize oh my gosh this small hill in front of me is a tail and this creature is sleeping and then it wakes up and the epic music kicks in and this thing just blots out the sun as it takes off and you are stumbling through the wind of its flapping wings I mean, that's a moment. And that's in my review. So you can go back and watch my review and see that moment in there. And it really is something. And uh, I feel like, dang, I I want those moments. I want those moments. I just want different gameplay. I want so many of the other aspects of this game to be different. But I'm going to see if I end up making time for it. If giving this game another try, starting from the beginning... Um, with lowered expectations or adjusted expectations will make the difference for me and I can somehow discover a love for Final Fantasy XV. Um, I'd be very interested to see what happens with that. Uh, I already have Monster Hunter World. Resident Evil... <laughs> Resident Evil 7. Hey, guys. Um, it's a game that you can request uh, for a live stream now. <laughs> I actually might be more interested in playing through Final Fantasy 7 for the sake of a stream or Halloween content or something than I would be going back and trying to play Dead Space. I, I could be wrong. I, I think that Final Fantasy 7 was just a little less intense than Dead Space. I think Dead Space... I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely a different flavor and it's a beautiful, well, it's a really good-looking game. I don't, beautiful is not what I would use, but there's just a lot of cool things going on in that game that I can tell when I step away from the fear. <laughs> but if you want a good laugh, I mean, hopefully it's good for a good laugh, uh, and you haven't watched it in a while or you've never watched it, uh, go watch my review 
of uh, Resident Evil 7. Um, that's back when I was still using the format of playing and recording myself playing the first five hours of a game. And so it's basically just a, 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 a highlights reel of me getting the crap scared out of me while playing Biohazard. Uh, and... And and I end up singing a lot. <laughs> I sing a lot, improvised melodies and lyrics and stuff, just trying to make myself be in a happy place because I was constantly in a state of dread, <laughs> walking around every corner of that game. So, if uh, you get bored and you want to put something on during some time off this Christmas break, and uh, that that might be a good time for you. Anyway, um, but. I can see not not for myself, not for fun, for purely for myself, but for content creation of some kind, I can definitely see myself going back to Final Fantasy VII, or excuse me, what is this game? Resident Evil Seven, especially if uh, there's any interest expressed from any of you guys. Persona Five. Um, this is like a hugely celebrated game. It's got just great reviews. Persona 4 Golden was a big game for a lot of people. And there are so many fans that just swear by these games. And I'm no stranger to the Persona series completely because I've played Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne. I played through at least half of that game before it just kind of wasn't the thing for me because I didn't really want to collect monsters anymore. I wanted to collect equipment and I wanted to upgrade equipment. And there was something about upgrading and collecting monsters that I was like, ah, no, thematically, this isn't quite what I want. But there was a lot of things I did like about it. A very eerie uh, atmosphere. And, uh, but anyway, that's the Shin Megami Tensei series. It's a spinoff, or rather, I think Persona is a spinoff of the Shin Megami Tensei series. And the Persona games are much lighter. Uh, They are not in that space of weird, dark post-apocalyptic kind of stuff um but they're they're turn-based jrpgs and i mean back in the day i was a big fan of jrpgs and turn-based jrpgs but as i've discovered i I don't know that i can ever quite go back to them if the aesthetic is getting in the way you know dragon quest 11 if i if i was going to find a way to love a jrpg again i felt like dragon quest 11 was going to be it for me and i am more than halfway through that game, I think. And I think maybe someday I'll finish it. Maybe, maybe, but I've got to be in the right mood. And I've just found that that mood is increasingly rare for me, uh, which maybe the end up being the case with my whole real time with pause, you know, uh, uh, love. And so we'll see, but I can see at some point me trying it just to see what all the fuss is about, but part of me is like, Pater, you've never cared what the fuss is about. You like what you like, and you just don't worry about the fuss. So why would you worry about the fuss now? So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Battlefield 1, that is a, uh, a first-person shooter that takes place in World War... I believe World War One, And... I may be interested in playing with that just to see what the campaign is like, to see if the campaign is doable on an easy difficulty, because I do really like first-person shooters. They just tend to be too hard for me. Um, And so, and I definitely don't want to play multiplayer, but I can see myself downloading this one and just seeing, like, can I make it through this game? What's, you know, I really wanted to enjoy Call of Duty um, Modern Warfare, like the original one for the Xbox 360, but I just got to a mission where you're flying around in a helicopter and you're trying to protect a church or blow up a church. I can't remember what you're doing, but if you screw up and don't protect it enough, then it's like, eh, start over. 
and I just can't deal with that kind of gameplay anymore. Um, and so if, if it has anything like that, where if you fail, then you got to start over, then I'm out. But if it's like fail, lose some coins or something, or lose some something that you won't miss too badly, but we res- respawn you right where you left off, then I'm good, you know. Um, I just want to make my way through the game for the most part. Um, let's see here. The Last Guardian... I, I confess I am curious about that game, but I think I'm more likely to watch one of my boys play it um, up in the France and Men game loft. Um, what else here? Same, same with Call of Duty Black Ops 3. Same principle as Battlefield 1. Um, if it's got a campaign that I can make my way through, I can see myself being interested in playing through it. Um, so that's just kind of a big we'll see. Days Gone. Now, Gabriel Stinson, who did a review of Days Gone for uh, both his own channel and then also graciously uh, allowed us to use it on Christian Geek Central, um, was uh, he liked this game. And uh, um, and I, if I remember correctly, Gabriel was even saying, you know, uh, Pater, man, I'd love for you to enjoy this game, too, you know. And, and I think that it has a number of pieces in it, from what I can tell, that I would enjoy. It's just going to be a question of how hard is it. Um, how how punishing is the the difficulty? But you know the idea of a open world post apocalypse where you're in part of a biker gang or whatever. I, I can see myself digging on that. So, um, but like most like like all of the games really that are on this list, I either bought them because I like them, or I'm not willing to to risk spending money on them. But it's kind of interesting. You know, I bought this. I got this PS uh, Plus membership because the price tag was right just for playing with my friend Mark. But uh, seeing all these other things, they're, not, they're, not, they're still not incentive for me to keep my uh, PlayStation subscription, unless, of course, I start playing some of these games and I or the boys really like them and we start running out of time as the subscription runs out. This is how they get you, right? This is how they get you. So I don't know if they'll, they've gotten me or not. We'll see in maybe 11 months from now. Um, Detroit Become Human. This is a game I'm very curious about. Um, but I, I think it's clearly just, just hammering the same message we've seen, we usually see with AI, where it's AI are people too, toasters are people too, love your toaster, kiss your microwave, you know, remember your TV has feelings, <laughs> I know, I'm being unfair and unreasonable, but, uh, yeah, it, it's just subscribing to the philosophy of, um, if a machine is complex enough, it's indistinguishable from a person. It has true personhood. If it's just, it's just a matter of complexity. Uh, so we are just wet machines. We have no non-physical component. It's a naturalistic slash atheistic worldview that's driving a game like Detroit Become Human. And I say that not because I played it, but just because I've seen enough of it uh, to to know uh, what the developer wants us to feel about these machines. And they clearly want us to feel and treat them as persons. So um, part of me is curious about the game, curious about like to the, the extent that they, that they play up that uh, worldview. Part of me is also curious about the gameplay itself being very choice-driven, not really about action twitchy type stuff, but almost a role-playing type of experience. But I just don't know that I'm curious enough. <laughs> I really doubt that I am. Uncharted 4. Uh, now I have Uncharted the uncharted nathan drake collection because when covid19 hit and people first started really being in lockdown sony made that available for free you could download it for free i got that along with journey for free uh to keep forever you know i didn't have to keep a playstation plus subscription or anything they're just mine um 
But uh, this Uncharted 4 is part of the PS Plus collection. So, I mean, I would definitely want to play the the other Uncharted games first before playing 4. But the problem is I, I... Play, I booted one up, and it wasn't the graphics that looked too old. There was something about the gameplay. I was like, ugh. This is one of those, like, here's an area, and there's a puzzle in this area. you got to figure it out before you can move on to the next area. I'm like, I'm out. I'm just not into puzzles. And and I think that what the game did that was so novel uh, and uh, raised the bar so much at the time, it doesn't do that now. And so it doesn't motivate me. It doesn't ooh and ah me or wow me, or whatever the expression is I'm looking for, uh, enough to to really want to stick with it and see it through. A game I am tempted to check out just because it's... F- well, no, I'm not. Never mind. No, I'm not. I was going to say Arkham Knight, because, hey, it's free. I've always wanted to try out this series. But then I remember, Pater, you have Batman Arkham Asylum on your Xbox 360, and you keep telling yourself you're going to go back to it and give it a, a good try or a better try than you have already. And I, I think at most, having Batman uh, Arkham Knight will motivate me to go back and try Arkham Asylum. That, combined with how much I've been enjoying the Spider-Man games, which take inspiration from the combat, take some inspiration from the uh, the Arkham series. And I think since the first time I really tried Batman Arkham Asylum, I have played other games that are inspired by its combat. And I've really enjoyed those games. And so I'm thinking to myself, hmm... Maybe I just wasn't acclimated enough to that style of combat or something about it. Maybe there's something back then that I wasn't ready for that I'd be ready for now. Um, and I'd be able to discover what so many people have about these games, that, that, that people that have really enjoyed them. So, so we'll see. Um, maybe more likely to try out than uh, Batman Arkham Knight is, um, what's it called? Infamous Second Son. Oops, okay. But the thing is with Infamous Second Son is even though it stars a new protagonist and you do not have to have played the first two games, um, I have been told, uh, it's still going to bother me to have not played them. And it's seeing that game on here is just a it's, it's just a reminder to me of like, like, Sony, why have you not if you think this game is worth playing like this is one of the classic PlayStation exclusives then why have you not gone to the effort of remastering Infamous 1 and 2 to be available on the PlayStation 4? They are still stranded back on the PlayStation 3. Um, I, I can't help but wonder if those games will be remastered uh, because I, I think... I don't, mem- I don't remember where I heard this. Maybe it was on uh, Sacred Symbols or another gaming reputable gaming podcast, but I think there's reason to suspect that the team that made this game is going back to it and maybe creating a new one that will be announced maybe at E3 this year or, you know, before too crazy long. Um, And if that's the case, I would think to drum up interest in the franchise again, they would really want to remaster one and two and get them on the playstation 5 maybe also on the playstation 4 i don't know um so it's it's weird you know i'm really curious about these games they're open basically if you're not familiar with them they're open world superpower games i say superpower because you can kind of be a hero or kind of a villain or anti-hero or something like that and uh you build out your powers um gosh is this is this an insomniac game are these infamous are these guys that made um the Spider-Man? They might be. I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, 
Uh, I've always been interested in these games, but there's something that just rubs me the wrong way about not being able to go back and play the first two that keeps me from playing Second Son. So if you've played Second Son and you want to make a case, Peter, hey, no, you're not missing anything. Just play Infamous Second Son. You've got it. It's right there for you. Download, play, enjoy. It's your kind of game. If anybody wants to say that to me, I will definitely take that to heart. So please, uh, please let me know. Um, Until Dawn. I've played a little bit of this. I rented it back when I first got my PlayStation 4 and was just wanting to kind of explore what kinds of next-gen experiences could be had. My gosh. Um, I can't believe it was that long ago now. But this is a a narrative horror game um, where you are controlling, uh, swapping between controlling numerous teenagers. You're watching a lot of cutscenes and making choices about how those cutscenes play out. That's a lot of what the game is. You do control the characters now and then, but a lot of cutscenes and choosing. And, and I think the novelty of this game, this really found its place in the world of streaming, where low-latency streamers could have their audiences tell them what choices to make. Because I think sometimes, if I remember correctly, there's a timer, which I always hate. Like a bar that's quickly running down. You see this in Cyberpunk 2077 also. Although, I felt in that game... If you have a clear idea going in what kind of character you are and what kind of choices your character would make, then it's not too hard to figure out, to to make a choice in those moments. I'm actually playing, I should have mentioned this in my review or somewhere along the way, but I played Cyberpunk 2077 as though I'm um, an alternate, like a parallel reality version of Vincent Craft. Like the name is perfect because V... Um, and his name is Vincent, and so V, I could just think of that as Vincent's nickname, what everybody calls him for short. It's in a cyberpunk setting, and the Spirit Blade audio drama trilogy is largely in a cyberpunk city, um, and so it's just the perfect fit. And so basically, I, I'm playing him, this is a little rabbit trail I didn't intend to get on, but I'm playing him as kind of a compromised Christian, basically. Like, he he believes in God, he's a follower well, that's why I want to play him. The problem is the voice, the, there's oftentimes where V as a protagonist talks and you don't get the, you have no choice over what he's saying, you know, but I, I guess kind of driving my decisions is I'm trying to play V kind of like some alternate reality version of Vincent Craft. So, um, anyway, but coming back to, where was I here? Oh yeah. Until dawn. So I don't like those meters that quickly deplete and only give you a few seconds to make your choice, but, uh, I can see this. I don't know. I, I might want to try this with Holly sometime and see if she would be interested. I mean, she doesn't like horror as a genre, but but this type of gameplay, I mean, maybe that would be a reason to play actually Detroit Become Human with her, is that she could just sit with me and help me make... Well, no, she's not going to want to do that. She hates making choices. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When you're with her family and they're trying to make choices, like they put these choices on the table and nobody gets anywhere. And so... They need a Franson to come in there and say, okay, well, how about this? This this sounds good, you know? Okay, great, they all say. And then we do that. Um, because they they really don't make choices very well. It's really quite the phenomenon. Anyway, um, Bloodborne be the next one. Uh, no. <laughs> I've got Dark Souls 2 on the Xbox 360 that I could go back and try again if I really wanted to. Um... No, not my kind of game. Moving on. Last of Us, remastered. Um, this one, at some point over the next year, I really might give another try to. The only time I tried playing this game was during the first Extra Life Marathon I ever did. I rented this one, again, to kind of, you know, see what the, could be played on the PS4. And, and um, 
I ended up moving ladders at 3.30 in the morning, and I just couldn't move ladders anymore. It was putting me to sleep. And so I didn't give it another try. And then since then, um, in reviews, I've just seen that there are these kind of... Uh, um, I don't remember if they were insta-fail scenarios or just like... I don't remember specifically what the issues were. Like, you either could insta-fail if you don't protect the girl well enough, or you insta-fail if you get bit, or you insta-fail if, like, you're spotted, because then they just overwhelm you with zombies, which is just about as good as an insta-fail. There was just some insta-fail-y stuff I, I seem to remember hearing about that put me off of the game. But what I might do is do um, another round of uh, review research on that game, um, to refresh my memory on what it was that was keeping me from wanting to play it. And if whatever that thing was does not seem to be the issue that I thought it was, then I, I do want to give this game a try. Because I've it, it's been so celebrated. So celebrated. And, and Last of Us Part Two, a divisive game, but also uh, in many ways by at least a significant segment uh, celebrated again. And so I am curious i am curious even curious enough to sit through that opening sequence where you have to watch this dude lose his young daughter which now playing that now the daughter he loses her her age is probably just a little bit younger than uh titus and i think at the time i don't think i think she was not quite the age of either one of my boys so it might not have hit home as i don't know i, I don't know it's been a long time gosh it's been like well, about seven years, that's how long this generation has been. Six or seven years, so... I don't know, maybe I did have one of the boys the same age, but since the, the gender was different, it wasn't hitting home as much. It hit home plenty. It was like... I think I was keeping it together in part because there was a buddy sitting next to me while I saw it for the first time. <laughs> um, but anyway, we'll see. Uh, that's... Uh, uh, that's that's another one. I, I I I'm thinking maybe Gabriel Stinson has also said uh, that I sh- that he would really like for me to be able to enjoy those games, and so um, it's definitely on my radar. Gabriel, that and Days Gone, and then finally uh, Ratchet and Clank, which that's more for my boys than it is for me. Um, so okay, so that was my journey through games that for my boys that I'm looking forward to, games that I might be trying. Where are we in my notes? We've got to be getting close to wrapping up my Geek Week. This is this is getting a little bit excessive, don't you think? I think so. Um, so, yeah, over the Christmas break, I'm just looking forward to... Uh, honestly, I'm looking forward to just kind of like relaxing up in the game loft with my boys, watching them explore some stuff. I think one of the things I'll enjoy doing is um, popping in some podcasts that I have to catch up on because I've fallen behind some of my podcasts. And those podcasts, if you're curious, are usually video game podcasts. Um, The Game Informer show. There's like a whole Extra Life marathon that Game Informer and MinMax did together that I have still been meaning to get back to. So I can see myself, you know, just putting that on my iPhone and uh, just vegging and, you know, putting in an earbud so it doesn't disturb the boys and just kind of keeping one eye on whatever games they're playing up in the game loft and... And, uh, and then just watching, you know, listening to a podcast or watching, you know, some videos or watching some podcasts for that matter, because both the Game Informer show and MinMax show uh, also are uh, video podcasts as well. And I'm trying to think of who else I enjoy. Well, I like Colin Moriarty's Sacred Symbols podcast. That's, um, that's uh, audio only, although it sounds like that may be changing in the not too distant future. Uh, but yeah, just kind of like kicking back and like having the freedom to waste some time sounds really nice. Um, I'm also planning on, because I got a month of CBS All Access in order, to, in order to review the premiere of The Stand, now I have CBS All Access for a month. And so I am going to 
uh, watch, just binge Star Trek Discovery Season 3, and I think my subscription will last long enough to get me through the end of the season, because I think there's still a few episodes left to come out, if they haven't all come out already. But I think as I was doing my planning, I was like, oh yeah, I think I'll have this long enough to be able to watch, if I make the time for it, to binge it, to watch all of Discovery Season 3. And I was interested in the the first episode, uh, as I uh, mentioned um, when I talked about that a while back, uh, definitely a huge status quo change. Not sure what I'm going to think about the rest of the season, but uh, I'm, I'm I'm invested in that show at this point. Um, and then also, um, I own on Blu-ray Young Justice Season 1, and that has since been revived and been given... I mean, it got as far as Season 2 or maybe a third season... Wherever they left off, uh, it's a new season has come out for that show uh, many years later now. And there might even be another one yet still coming. I can't remember, but I was just thinking to myself, you know, this would be the, this would be the time. If you get through Discovery Season 3, that is, and you're still looking for something to put on while you're playing video games or, you know, Young Justice would also be something I could potentially, you know, put on while the boys are around and uh, find something to watch with them. Uh, so yeah, I, we'll see. That's, that's kind of like, that's, that's more of maybe a bucket list item with the time that I have. And I, I suspect that with all the, the things that I have in my, in mind that I'd like to do, I, I'm going to end up doing a third of them. That's just kind of how this tends to work out. Uh, but those are my very long winded thoughts about my geek week. That's it for this week guys can you believe it it actually ended at some point stay tuned after the credits for b5 shawarma with adam david collings commenting episode by episode on one of his favorite sci-fi shows babylon 5 or well that may be happening next week wait did i say next week no stay tuned after the credits for this one this one is happening it is happening this time it's a question about whether or not it's going to happen in the next episode anyway you can jump back to episode 575 if you want to start at the beginning but otherwise stick around for the credits you can hear the the latest uh, installment of that and uh next time if god allows it it's already been recorded and edited and is ready to upload it's the uh, the christmas hangout as i mentioned earlier me hanging out with patrons with something very special at the end um so if you have not watched that video already and would prefer to get it in audio format i hope you will come back for that till then please consider supporting the work of christian geek central and spirit blade productions and earning some fun rewards by becoming a spirit blade insider of any subscription tier at patreon.com slash spirit blade productions and one more reminder at the ten dollar tier if you're looking for stuff to listen to and do uh over your christmas vacation that'll get you that that that, that'll take care of you oh my gosh and i'd also be grateful for positive reviews wherever you find this podcast um thank you guys so much for making time for this show i hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the christian geek central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at christiangeekcentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit spiritblade.com. Thank you for listening. I want it all back.
Nothing's the same anymore. Why do I still have to remind myself that she's gone? Why don't you eliminate the entire non-home world? Stand between the darkness and the light. Declaring martial law. Tell my own government wants to kill me. Get off their encounter-suited butts and do something. Any crew that executes an order like that is guilty of war crimes. Being a freedom fighter is a wonderful thing. But the pay sucks. Oh, we're screwed. Now get the hell out of our galaxy. Ha, that was interludes and examinations. The description on the Lurker's Guide reads, Sheridan tries to rally support for his cause as direct confrontations with the shadows begin in earnest. Friction increases between Londo and Morden. And this episode first aired on the 6th of May, 1996. Wow, what an episode. This has got to be one of the greatest. There is so much going on here. Amazing it all fits in one episode. There are three threads here. One is a major plot thread. One is a purely character thread, and the third is kind of both, and it kind of links it all together. Let's start with Dr. Franklin. We haven't seen a lot about his stim addiction in a while, but that's how these things go. Apparently addicts have good days and bad days, and they get very good at hiding things. But Stephen is reaching breaking points. He can't hide it any longer. That's why we're seeing this now. Stephen is crazed. He almost kills a patient with his mistake. Richard Biggs gets a chance to rant and rave and have a good scream. This is another example of the kind of acting that you see a lot in Farscape. Now Michael is worried. He says straight out, I don't think you can handle it. Stephen is pulling too many extra shifts. He's not coping. And Michael knows why. He knows about the stims. And then Stephen gets angry and says, I don't have to defend myself to you. But Michael says, I think you do. Something ain't right here, and as your friend, I'm concerned. And that's a good point. I think the bond of friendship they have brings with it something of an obligation for Stephen to explain himself to Michael, because Michael cares. It's like he says later on, after all we've been through together, if you can't talk to me, then what the hell's the point? A line that Stephen keeps repeating in this episode when people confront him is, I don't care. And that's kind of true. He's beyond caring about things. Michael is trying to find a discreet way to handle this. He doesn't want to destroy Stephen's career. And Stephen finally checks his own blood and admits that he is addicted. It's so easy to lose track. You don't realise how much you're doing. But the numbers don't lie. I love this character arc. It's all about the friendship. They find a way to keep that friendship intact. And there is no judgment coming from Michael. Only compassion and concern. Heck, he's an alcoholic. He's been there. That's what being a friend is about. And so, Stephen resigns his position as Chief of MedLab before Sheridan is forced to fire him. Stephen leaves his job, but he's not leaving the show. This is the kind of radical character change that usually only happens when a character leaves a show. But here, B5 makes the change but keeps the character. Brilliant. And I know this kind of thing happens all the time in modern TV, but in the 90s, wow. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about what's going on with the war. It's been 10 days since the shadows attacked openly. The attacks are random, senseless. It's the same tactic they used a thousand years ago. Random hit-and-run attacks. 
Earth can't do anything to help the Bakiri, even if they wanted to. Everyone is alone. And John says, I sometimes think that was the intent. The Shadows are playing a very long game. Everything they do is deliberate. But our heroes haven't figured out what it's all about yet. Historically, most wars have been fought over territory, but the Shadows don't care about territory. So what do they care about? In the words of their own question, what do they want? The Shadows got all the League worlds to waste their resources fighting each other. Now no one can defend themselves. The game won't come to the Brakiri's aid. They haven't been attacked yet, and they won't risk inviting attack by joining the fight. This seems short-sighted. You must know they'll come for you next, John says. Maybe. But John can't know that for certain. And here's the big point. The game ambassador says, The enemy is powerful. Show us you have equal power, and we will consider. And that's the problem. We don't have equal power. Now, just a, a little point here. The game ambassador, it, it looks pretty cool. I mean, you don't really see anything of him because he's in this big kind of metal shell with a hose thing. But this is an example of, you know, a pretty alien alien. And we will actually get to see what's inside that that suit um, later on. But, yeah, I like the game. They're cool. John feels like he's lying to everyone. The only hope is to bring everyone together as a fighting force, despite all the differences. But the truth is, right now, nobody can stand up to those ships. If we could get one victory, it might be enough to convince some of the racers. And that's when the idea comes to him. John asks the Vorlons to engage a shadow ship. Kosh refuses. It's not our time. It's yours. We are not prepared yet. Kosh wants the little races to do all the dirty work. But this was the Vorlons' war. They wanted us to fight it. But they won't get involved themselves. And John stands up to Kosh. This is an awesome scene. Maybe my favourite in the whole series. Nothing I can say can do this scene justice. So, even if you're not watching the show along with me, just look this up on YouTube. Just search for Kosh Gets Angry. Brilliant. And all this time, um, Bruce Boxleitner is acting against what they call a vending machine. It's just this suit thing. Yeah, just great. <laughs> so John convinces Kosh to get involved, but there is a price. He will not be there to help when John goes to Zahadoom. If he goes, he will die. But it works. We get our victory, and all the races sign on. But Morden pays a visit to Kosh, and the shadows kill him. They kill Kosh. And as he dies, Kosh reaches out to John's mind telepathically. Kosh is so private and embarrassed, he can't even appear as himself. He shows himself as John's father. Kosh sees himself as a father figure to John, or maybe more accurately, he views John as a son. All that time, Kosh wasn't angry, he was afraid. I'll talk more about why the Shadows killed him when we get to the season finale. Can you believe that there's still a whole other plot, th plot thread we haven't talked about yet?
they've had to hire more security on the station, but they don't have the resources from back home for background checks. Therefore, Morden is able to bribe himself on board. But some good news for Londo. Adira, his lover from season one, is coming back to Londo on the station. And he wants a suite filled with flowers. This is a huge extravagance on a space station. And we see that there are invisible shadows on the station meeting with Morden, right under our noses. And we've already discussed how they go and kill Kosh at the end. Morden appears to Londo. He's not happy that Lord Reefer won't return his calls. Londo convinced his government to pull back their forces from the trivial border wars. Remember that scene a couple of episodes ago where Londo poisoned Reefer, basically to force him to stop what he was doing? When you willingly offer yourself to the devil, he doesn't like to let you go. Neither do the shadows. Londo knows Morden doesn't have any interest in restoring the glory of the Centauri Republic. No, you are using us as agents of chaos. I like how all polite pretense is gone. Morden is chilling and threatening. And then Londo says those fateful, foolish words. There is nothing you can do to me, Mr. Morden, that has not already been done. Wrong! This is interesting. The shadows want to kill Londo, but Morden is the one who says... No, there are other ways. Morden is the skilled politician here. He's not just a pawn to them. He has skills that they can use. For the first time, in longer than he can remember, Londo feels happy. I remember when my wife moved down to Tasmania. Uh, When we first met, she lived in another state. And uh, she made the decision that she was going to move to live in in Tasmania. Um, And we got engaged shortly after. But I remember standing there at the airport waiting for her to get off the plane. So I kind of know the emotions that Londo's feeling at this point as he's waiting for the woman he loves to, to get off that spaceship. But Adira doesn't come off the ship. And then they wheel in a body on a stretcher. She's been poisoned. And now I'm broken. Totally choked up with emotion. I mean, I'm crying for Londo. How can this show make me feel so much for someone who has done the things that he has done? Londo thinks Reefa did it as revenge for the poison that Londo used on him. But of course it was Morden. Morden, the master manipulator. Londo no longer wants Morden to stay away. All he wants is revenge. He's lost the only thing that he has ever loved. And so now he's back in bed with Morden. Give me revenge and the safety of my people and let the rest of the galaxy burn. I don't care anymore. Just as Londo was starting to come good... Now he's worse than ever. He's willing to let the entire galaxy burn. He just doesn't care. Londo's journey is so tragic. What a powerful episode. Next week, something very different, but something very important. We're going back to Babylon 4. 
in War Without End, Part 1.